of the internet, we are back. Yeah, we're trying something new out. You know, we're always good with that new stuff because at the end of the day, we're all just feeling things out, seeing what sticks. So we're going to be trying a new format going forward for a little while. Yeah, we're going to see if it sticks. So last week, y'all experienced the news. Dun, dun, dun. And you'll get the news every other week. And then in between the news, we will have our more lighthearted views, banter, also guests as well, like some of our favorites, Mr. Pop Culture Junkie, whoever else we can grab from the ether, stuff of that nature. And that way, we can make sure our content is a little more focused per podcast. Or unfocused. Kind of depends on where the conversations go, I guess. So We, we do get a little deep... We do get a little ADD here. <laughs> yeah, we do. Like, so, for example, this week, what we're going to talk about, and in more detail, is going to be Disney Plus's launch and some of the shows we watched and our impressions. But you'll still get the, the weekly review of The Boys. Because, oh my god... I have feelings now. I had feelings before, but now they're extra feelings. And then Rick and Morty at the end of the episode, just as last week. Because we would be doing a disservice to ourselves and also to you guys if we didn't talk about one of the greatest cartoons on the face of the planet right now. Disney be damned. <gasps> oh no. I'm sorry, Mickey Mouse. Those could be fighting words, but... We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Disney Plus <laughs> gave me some feelings. But that being said, how was your week? I almost got murdered. Oh, no. Yeah. Or, oh, yay. I don't know which reaction to have. I mean, it would have been nice if it happened, but at the same time, I wouldn't want to go down that way because that would have just meant I was a little bitch, so I'd rather go out swinging. So how did you almost die? So I'm currently looking for a house to reside in. Um, just because of life, and it is time for me to get a house, so that way my dog has a nice place to live, because I'm that person. And I was looking at houses, and my realtor told me that we had three houses to look at. First one was kind of lackluster. It had a couple creepy murder holes, and it also had a sealed door. Okay. Which is already suspicious. And I told her that there was probably a dead body behind there, so we kind of noped out of that one. But that wasn't the place where I almost got murdered. It was the next house. <laughs> so we drive up to so the So wait, next wait, one. wait. There was creepy house, and then there was almost murdered house. I've, I've had a lot of traumatizing experiences with houses while I've been looking, because I had a Chernobyl house. Okay. And then I also had a trap house next door to one of the houses that I was looking at. And then I had okay. the creepy house, and then we finally land on the murder house okay so what had happened was is the owner of said house didn't have a lockbox for the residence which is pretty standard when you're doing rental houses in case anyone was curious I'm, i've become an expert on this unfortunately and i hate it but the owner had said that the back door was open we're like okay none of the lights worked when we got there none of the driveway lights or any of that but we found our way to the back with our flashlights and the back door was wide open 
Okay. So, and it already looked really sketchy. It was super dirty, had some, like, some, like, mold and stuff growing on it. Wide open. So, we go around the corner to peer inside the house, and then that house, the door on the inside, was also wide open. And none of the lights worked, and me and my realtor, who is also a, a small female, so neither of us really stood a fighting chance. And we looked at each other. She's like, I'm not going in there. I'm like, I'm not going in there either. So we kind of noped out. But then as we were walking around, we heard rustling inside of the house. Never a good sign. So then we walk around to the front. And being the nosy Nancy that I am, I pull out my phone, flashlight, and I start looking inside the house. And there is, like, garbage everywhere. Oh. And all of the cabinets were open. So I'm pretty sure there was squatters in there, and the reason I say that is because as I was looking, I saw like a dark shadow run across in the background. Oh, fun. Yeah. So I def we just noped out, and that's how I almost got murdered. Well, glad you didn't die. <laughs> I almost am, <laughs> just because I would like the void. The void sounds nice. I mean, you say that, but... <laughs> I know. I mean, <laughs> so... That was, that was my week, um, on top of just a busy work week. I think that's why I was more welcome to the murder, so that way I didn't have to put up with all the work I had to do. But now that it's over, I'm happy I didn't die, because otherwise I wouldn't be here talking to y'all today. Yeah, and I'd be opening auditions up for a new co-host. Wow, move on real quick. I see, I see where I stand. Show must go on. <laughs> How was your week? You know, I can't complain. Really? Because I feel like anytime we talk, all we do is complain. Yeah, no, this week, you know, it was just, it was a week, but I'm not going to talk about that on a podcast. Fair enough. But, you know, I did get an opportunity to sit down and play quite a bit of God of War for the PS4, which has been a lot of fun. So, I really can't complain. It's a nice way to unwind from a long, stressful day at work. Oh, yes. I've still been trying to get through the tutorial of Persona 5, <laughs> so... Meanwhile, I just beat, what, Icon? I mean, you would know better than me. I think that's how I just finished. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to go check. Fair enough. I didn't realize how much of a commitment Persona 5 was going to be. RPGs are a commitment in general, and... I just left a commitment, man. I don't need to start another one. <laughs> yeah, and this one could possibly be more long-term. Ooh. Ooh, my heart. <laughs> so... Well, how are you enjoying Persona 5, though? You know what? Actually, I don't hate it. I mean, that's a plus. So I, I'm really, I'm really enjoying the art style and the story. The story is really the main motivator for me, and I've since adapted to the combat style, at least for now. And you don't like it, do you? It's not that I don't like it, but I, I do wish it was a little bit more fast paced. And probably once I get more comfortable with the system, I can make it a little more fast paced with how I push the buttons. But you know, I, I wish I had a little bit more strategy, well, like, in real time versus me maybe falling asleep in the middle of a battle and nothing happening. Yeah, because it just waits for your turn. Right. I think that's the one thing I liked about Final Fantasy series back in the classic series and what they're returning to now is the ATB system that they had. Because something always happens. You could sit there and fall asleep playing, but you'd be dead. Right. Because it's just the gauge that, that fills and only stops when somebody takes a turn. Mm-hmm. So that may that may keep you more engaged, something like that. And I don't know if there's a way you could turn that on, but 
I mean, I don't think so. I like, like I said, though, I, I'm really enjoying the game. I think the art style is absolutely gorgeous. I love the story. The music, though, is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, there's uh, nothing with a good soundtrack. It's so good. And, like I said, like, the story's invested. And I think once I get out of the tutorial, I'll probably like it a little bit more. Because, like, right now, everything's very linear. And That's it, JRPG. Well, <laughs> but, like, I, I can't explore anything because the tutorial yells at me. But I know once I get out of the tutorial, I have a little bit more freedom to do certain things. I can't wait to come home and unwind from my 9 to 5 to then play my video game that also requires me to have a night job and a day, like, and a day job. So that'll be fun. <laughs> yes. Um, but I'm really interested to see where the story goes because I'm very much invested in that and I will probably power through it. I might take a partner on grinding a little bit because I'm that asshole, but I'll cross that bridge when I burn it. <laughs> so. Grinding is a fun part of a JRPG, though. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. And especially as someone who technically... I, I say that because you can't really play Breath of the Wild backwards, but I did, um, in terms of what um, what Divine Beasts I went to first. I went oh, to Robot I went to robot Humpy Camel first, which is apparently the most difficult one, which, like, out of the puzzle solving and, like, getting there and all that other stuff, I really did it backwards, and I worked way too hard in the very beginning instead of, like, just dicking around like I thought I was going to do. I'm like, ooh, there's a desert, let me go there, and I almost died all the time because the people <laughs> all the enemies and everything were just a little bit stronger than i was ready for yes so what happens in these games unfortunately i've done that plenty of times breath of the wild still i'll go into an area where i just wasn't expecting a guardian to pop up at that moment because i didn't see it and there it is and i'm dead <laughs> yes and one thing i will say on persona 5 though is like as i'm playing it and i'm uh, like i said i'm still kind of in the tutorial so i'm at like the kamashido like King Kamashido, the perv, um, he looks so much like Danny Sexbang, it's unreal. <laughs> and I can't get over it. Um, and it's bad too because of how much like I absolutely adore Daniel Avedon. He, he is like the most attractive man to me on the face of the planet. But then I'm playing a game where this guy's super pervy and he looks just like him. So I'm a little conflicted, like just in general. And it's a very similar like character with like the heart robes and like the, the underwear that he's chilling in. And I'm like, oh wait, that's like, Danny Sexbang's entire MO. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm murdering Norse gods. I'll get there. I do want to play God of War, but at the same time, since I suck at video games... Just put it on Give Me a Story. I don't want to do that, though. Like, I would want the God of War experience, because I also know that if I do Give Me a Story, I'm not going to hear the end of it from the people that play God of War, i.e. you and... The bearded man that we know that absolutely adores this series and game. Yeah, that's why I have it on Give Me God of War mode. So, that's about where I'm at with that um, in my, my video gaming adventure. So, I think maybe we should start working our way towards some of the other stuff that's gone on this week. Yes, I guess we can start moving along here and we'll talk about the boys. And we are here with a special guest at the moment. Miss um, Nancy ended up running late at her day job, so she was unable to make a recording session this evening. So needless to say, I called in our fearless hero, Mr. Pop Culture Junkie, and we're going to talk a little bit about the upcoming Survivor Series. How are you, Mr. Junkie? I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. You know, surviving. 
It is all about the survival. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on because I know this pay-per-view is coming up and I know WWE touts it kind of as an annual fall or Thanksgiving tradition. Yes, it is. So I just wanted to bring on kind of do a little bit of a novice's guide, if you will. We're going to talk about a couple of matches here in a minute. But first, I just wanted to ask in general, is Survivor Series one of your favorite pay-per-views? It used to. It was something different. Um, the original, like early years of Survivor Series actually lived up to the name where they had your uh, what they call now your classic five on five elimination tag team matches where you would take five good guys, five bad guys and, you know, battle it out. And it actually was, you know, you had to survive the match. Now, it's a lot different today, whereas 30 years ago, you would have eliminations happening within a minute to two minutes of a match, and nowadays it's more, we want to make sure you're actually doing everything you can to make us believe this is, you know, a, a reason you're eliminating somebody, because uh, a lot of the matches would be over in like a matter of seconds, it seemed like, compared to nowadays. But I enjoyed the the spectacle of it, because you got to see matchups against people you would not see other times unless they were in these 5-on-5 uh, tag teams. So you got to lo- see a lot other pairings and uh, versus moments, and it was a good way as well for the uh, the higher ups in the company to, I guess, experiment and judge the audience's reaction. So if you saw this person and this person fighting because they're on the opposite teams, then you might later on, you know, the following year, they're going to be in an actual feud because the audience responded really well to this. And that doesn't happen too much anymore. Uh, they don't really stick to the, well, at least for a while, they didn't stick to the traditional five-on-five Survivor Series tag matches. There was, I know, at least a couple of years, they didn't have any Survivor Series tag team matches. And uh, it was like, why is this called Survivor Series still? There's not a uh, a five-on-five match at all. And and to me, I like sticking with, if that's the pay-per-view, then that's all you should be doing there. You should be just doing... The, uh, the the matchups like that. They did in... Uh, the, the first one was in 87. Mm-hmm. And then for 87, 88, and 89, they just did like, I don't know, maybe like five different five-on-five tag matches. I think there was like a 10 or 20-man uh, tag team. Uh, as in they took tag teams and put them on uh, different you know matchups. But they did a thing where in 1990... The winners of each match would go on and be in the finals. So you would get whoever lasted all the other matches, uh, whether they were good guy or bad guy. And then at the end of the night, they would be paired up in a new tag team, and those would be your ultimate survivors. And I thought that's a really cool idea. Hopefully, they do that again. They've never done it since. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> well,. I guess with that, I guess we can jump into talking about a couple of the matches here. Um, the first one we're going to talk about actually is very much at the beginning, the first match um, in Survivor Series. Their main event being Andre the Giant, One Man Gang, King Kong Bundy, Butch Reed, and Rick Rude against a team of Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndoff, Don Morocco, Ken Patera, and Bam Bam uh-huh. Bigelow, whose name I can't help but want to giggle when I say it. <laughs> So, with this being the first one, what 
what's the story behind behind this matchup in particularly this this five team setup? Uh, so this was '87, like this was like the boom period of WWF. Mm-hmm. Everyone knew what WWF was. Everyone knew who Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant were. Didn't matter if you watched wrestling or not. You knew those names. Uh, they were on top of the world. This is the same year of WrestleMania three, which had the main event of Hogan versus Andre. They main evented at uh, the Pontiac Silverdome, the 93,000 sellout. Uh, it's the same WrestleMania where we saw the greatest matchup in, well, up to 25, we saw the greatest matchup, in my opinion, of uh, Savage versus Steamboat for the IC title. But Andre and Hogan feuded all through the year of 87, and you had uh, Andre the Giant managed by the late, great, greatest manager ever, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And Heenan always had his stable called his his Heenan family, and mm-hmm. he had all types of different uh, wrestlers that he would manage. Uh, so you have uh, Bobby Heenan along with the uh, other manager Slick, who I believe he was managing the one man gang. Uh, but Andre, I'm sorry, Bobby Brain Heenan was managing Andre and King Kong Bundy and Rick Rude. And then on the opposing team, of course, you have Hulk Hogan along with all your good guy baby faces, Bam Bam, Don Baracco, Kim Patera, and Paul Orndorff. Okay. So really, this was just, as you had described earlier, kind of that dream matchup again. They wanted to capitalize on how popular the Andre and um, Hogan feud was. Yeah, because Andre and Hogan sold out. Uh, Andre and Hogan were the reason that WrestleMania three did so much business and had such a sellout crowd. Um they did whatever they could to keep them in matchups. So you had Survivor Series. Uh, they're going to put them on opposing teams. Andre, at this point, was in no condition to actually wrestle. His body was broken down. He, had, he, you know, he went through all sorts of... Uh, well, his body never stopped growing, and he right. suffered from the, the... What's it called? Like, giantism something is mm-hmm. what they call it. And uh, so there's a wrestler nowadays called The Big Show who suffered from that same, uh, I don't want to call it an illness, but I guess it is an illness. But he had uh, surgery to help uh, steer that from becoming uh, something dangerous for him later in in life. Andre had that option as well, but he refused to do it. And that's why he's not with us anymore. He probably could have stuck around a lot longer than passing away in 93. Mm-hmm. Um, but Andre, they had, uh, they, I mean, he was an attraction as always, you know, everyone wanted to see the giant, but he wasn't going to be able to put on a 10, 20 minute matchup, uh, and take bumps like he used to even just 10 years prior. So this kind of matchup is perfect because he could have everyone else doing all the big spots, but you're still just wowed by seeing Andre the giant. You don't care if he does anything, just stands there and you're like, I'm in awe. Yeah, his name just sold things. Mm-hmm. So, with the feud between him and Hogan, is what is there any backstory you can tell us about on that? Or is it just they put them against each other? Uh, well, they feuded actually, like, I want to say it was late 70s, or it was the early 80s. This is before the, the boom of Hulkamania even started. Mm-hmm. Um, this is before Rocky Three. Everyone knows Hogan was in Rocky Three, but 
Uh, that lips. happened. Thunderlips. Sexiest man alive. <laughs> yep. And uh, what's he called? Yeah, Hogan and Andre had feuds. And at the time, Hogan was the heel. Andre was the babyface. And then Hogan wanted to go do the Rocky movie. And uh, Vince McMahon Sr., the, you know, Vince Sr., or Vince McMahon's father, mm-hmm. uh, famously was like, no, you're, you're going to work here and whatnot. It's like, don't you realize how much money you're going to get attention-wise with being in a Sylvester Stallone movie? And he didn't want, to, he didn't want him to do it, so uh, he, he left. He went off and did the uh, movie, and of course that you know made him a, a superstar. And then he went to AWA up in uh, Minnesota, and that's where the birth of Hulkamania happened. And he became you know a, a huge success there. Well, when Vince McMahon, his uh, junior, the son, started working and owning the company, and then buying up all the competitors, he went around picking up all the stars he wanted from different territories. He wanted Hogan because obviously he's like, whoa, this, look at this gigantic jacked guy. I got to have him. And that's the guy he picked. Like, that's that's going to be my guy. He's going to be the face of my company. And so brought Hogan in. Andre and Hogan were buddies. And in real life, they were actually, you know, close. And Hogan would like, you know, I think he's gone on record saying, I used to carry Andre's bags. I would I drive for him. I do this and that. Mm hmm. Because you don't want to piss off a giant, obviously. So no, obviously, you, you don't want to get squished. <laughs> yeah. Because Andre could seriously do that. He, I mean, he really could hurt you if he wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the storyline was that they were good friends. And then uh, leading up to WrestleMania three, they started a storyline where Bobby the Brain Heenan uh, famously turned Andre. He brainwashed him and made him see things that weren't true. And then on a famous episode of Piper's Pit, hosted by the late, great Roddy Roddy Piper, uh, Andre confronted Hogan and says, I'm challenging you for the title at, at WrestleMania. And Hogan's like, no, no. Uh, I, I remember watching, there's a documentary they, they did recently on Andre the Giant. And uh, Hogan said that uh, he wanted to be able to cry. He wanted to make himself cry to really draw emotion. And so he put some kind of like uh, ointment on his fingers to rub it all over his face. And he... Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to do it very well. He said, <laughs> "He says it just you see cream or lotion all over him." <laughs> like, okay. Wow. Okay. But but yeah, that's where the storyline started, and then uh, it just went from there. And you know, of course, you got the the famous line. I love the famous line the girl Monsoon says at WrestleMania three doing commentary when you have the stare down of Hogan and Andre, and girl Monsoon goes the immovable object. Uh, or let's or see. Uh, the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Yep. Wow. And was that really the that was the only time they met up at WrestleMania, right? No, they had a rematch technically at uh, WrestleMania four, but at WrestleMania four, the uh, oh, they had a rematch at on Saturday Night Main Event in uh, early 1988, and they did a. Uh, a gimmick where they had a twin referee come in and he was a bad guy. They had the Earl Hepner and his uh, twin brother. They had uh, one of them go in and pretend to be the other one. And Andre did just like a hip suplex to Hogan and goes for a pin and then gets a quick count. Hogan gets his shoulder up, but the referee 
the, the bad referee <laughs> calls for the belt and awards Andre the title and says, here, you, you've won the belt. And they screw Hogan out of the belt. And he had not lost a match in like four years. He had been champion undefeated uh, ever since uh, 83. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, be, right after Andre won the title, he famously hands the belt over to Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and says, I give you the title. I want it for you, so here you go. Here's your title. So he gave the belt to, to Million Dollar Man, but you can't just give somebody the title. They have to win it. Mm-hmm. So they declared the title vacant, and they set up a tournament for WrestleMania Four uh, for the vacant title. And in the first round, it was Hogan versus Andre, and that one went to a uh, a double. I think it was a double DQ or double countout. Okay. Yeah. A little bit of history for y'all there as we move into our next match here. We're going to talk a little bit about Survivor Series of 1998. Ooh, one of my favorites. So the man, so it says the main event here was Mankind versus The Rock, but it was a tournament for the championship. Yes. So ninety-eight, you're in the you're in the the peak of the Attitude Era. You got Stone Cold Steve Austin is white hot. I mean, hottest thing that's ever been in the wrestling business, and nothing has since ever come close. And it's hard to believe if anything could ever get that freaking like crazy wild famous and popular like stone cold steve austin was everybody knows who stone cold is because stone cold said so exactly and uh he was you know he won the world title at wrestlemania 14 for Shawn michaels he uh he had the famous uh rivalry all year with uh vince mcmahon uh where he was constantly you know it's the the boss employee storyline that everyone wishes they could do everyone wants to stun their boss or knock their boss on their ass sometimes and Yep, we got to we got to live that through Stone Cold and Vincent Man, one of the greatest storylines ever. And uh, towards the end of the summertime, or I think it was uh, right right at the, right at the beginning of the fall, was uh, I think it was at WWE Breakdown. I think that was the pay review. It was a uh, singles match for the vacant title of. Uh, well, originally it was a triple threat match at the pay-per-view before this of uh, Stone Cold against Kane and Undertaker. And Kane and Undertaker pinned Stone Cold at the same time. And the referee said, well, the title's up in the air then because, well, you know, y'all both pinned him. So the next pay-per-view, they had Stone Cold be the referee. And Vince said, okay, you know, you have to declare the winner no matter what. So Kane and Undertaker fought, and it went to a, no de- uh, went to a double, like, count-out DQ, and so the title was still held up, and so at Survivor Series they said they'll do a uh, 16-man tournament, or 14-man tournament, I think, and uh, the winner in the finals would be the brand new champion. Okay. So, how did we get to the Mankind vs. The Rock in that tournament then? So, what are some of the other matches involved? Uh, Let's see, there was... Let's see, going in order here, we got... In the first round, because Kane and Undertaker were part of that uh, matchup where they both technically won, but neither one was, you know, or they both won the match. You can't have both win the belt. Uh, they got a bye in the first round, so they got to move to the quarterfinals, and they had a one-on-one match. But in the first round, you had Goldust versus Ken Shamrock. You had Big Boss Man versus The Rock. You had Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Big Boss Man. 
The reason you had Big Boss Man twice is originally it was supposed to be Triple H against The Rock, but he was injured. Okay. And then you had uh, Steven Regal uh, versus X-Pac. And then you had Al Snow versus Jeff Jarrett. And then Mankind versus Dwayne Gill, a.k.a. Gilberg. I think you can pretty much guess who he was impersonating. Oh, yes. Definitely yeah. can. So... Any of those matches in particular stand out in your memory of, of anything in particular from them? Not really. Uh, I think the, I mean, if you look at the uh, running time, most of them are about five minutes. Well, one's like five minutes, one's five seconds, one's three minutes, one's eight minutes, one's three minutes, and one's 30 seconds. So, no, none of them were made to stand out at all. Um, the matchups that could have been great definitely would have been Stone Cold versus Boss Man. But it, it ended in a DQ. Regal versus X Pac uh, would probably be your best bet. Uh, but yeah, they didn't get much uh, much to do in the match. Uh, so yeah, there's possibilities there. But the the point of this tournament really was just the storyline of who's going to be the next champion. Because right now you had Stone Cold Steve Austin, the hottest babyface in the company, even though he was kind of in that gray area because he never acknowledged being a fan favorite, even though fans were not going to boo him. There was no booing Stone Cold. No, but yeah, he never really played your clean-cut character no. of the face. He was more of that like anti-hero kind of character. Yeah. And at the same time, you have The Rock. Uh, other people may know him as Dwayne Johnson. But uh, at the time, The Rock, early in the year, was a total heel. He was a member of the Nation of Domination, uh, the black militant group. And over the summertime, he started to come around to be more of a face and fans were starting to get behind him. So you almost had two of them right there that you thought, oh, the fans are going to be, you know, they're going to be torn or do we want Stone Cold or The Rock to win? And then you had your underdog in Mankind as well, which everyone was like, there's no way Mankind's going to win. Even he may not, he may not even get past the first round or second round. But at the time, the storyline was Vince McMahon was pretending that Mankind was his pick to win the tournament. That's why he had such an easy opponent in the first round. He selected that opponent saying, oh, I want you to fight him for the first round. And it was like, oh, well, Vince McMahon's, you know, he's purposely doing this so that Mankind will win the title tonight. Even though Mankind was not a bad guy, yeah, you were going with the underdog story still as well, but... People were like, okay, you really didn't know who was going to win. It was a good tournament, and they set it up really well where there was no clean you know, pick. Like, okay, for sure this person's winning, and then they do win it. Okay. And then it looks like, from what I'm seeing here, Big Boss, Big Boss Man lost twice in the first round. <laughs> yep. And one of those was when he... When he wrestled against The Rock, it was the shortest match in WWE history at the time at four seconds. Yeah, and the the way it happened was uh, The Rock just rolls him up for a small package as soon as the bell rings, basically. Um, and I believe it was, I think it was Ken Shamrock. A boss man would come to the ring. He was a, His gimmick used to be a prison guard, and he'd carry mm -hmm. a nightstick. And I think Ken Shamrock was on the outside because they were part of the corporation, which was boss man, the... Undertaker or Vincent Man's group was called the Corporation, which had Boss Man and Shamrock and other people. And 
I believe Shamrock threw the nightstick in the ring to get it to Bossman, but he really overshot the throw. Uh, <laughs> uh, that was unintentional the way he did it. Uh, mm-hmm. The Rock was supposed to catch it no matter what, but it really was overshot, and the Rock almost didn't catch it, but he caught the, caught it while the ref wasn't looking, hits Bossman. So even though Rock cheated to win, the fans are loving this because you you think, oh, the babyface you know, was able to prevent the nightstick from going to the, the bad guy and him using it. So, of course, the you know, babyface should use it. Don't be so naive. <laughs> so right. the fans are cheering for The Rock all through this tournament. And then, so the quarterfinals you had talked about where Kane and Untrigger got a bye and had to face off against each other. Mm-hmm. And then going from there, in between the quarterfinals and the semifinals, you had the Women's Championship match. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Jacqueline versus Sable, I believe. Okay. Yeah, and that was the... That was... They had just brought the women's title back. They hadn't had one since uh, 95 when Medusa famously... Or Alundra Blaze had famously showed up on Monday Night Nitro with the WWF Women's Championship and threw it in the trash can. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I had heard about that. And we'll get a little bit into that here and coming up shortly um but we're gonna talk about the semifinals a little bit so the semifinal matchups were the vince mcmahon backed mankind versus steve austin yes what's memorable about that matchup uh you had i mean stone cold mankind two of the greatest all time and they could make anybody look good and during this matchup you have the fans are just you know come on austin we want you to get the belt back and Austin's been screwed all year from you know Vince McMahon, you know trying every which way to make sure Stone Cold either loses the belt or doesn't get it back or whatever. And then you had the fans also going around like, oh, we want you know Mankind's the underdog, but Vince McMahon is you know purposely making him his guy, and we don't want we don't want to cheer for Vince, but we we you know, you, you still feel bad for Man- Mankind because you know he's actually just being used is what you feel like. Mm-hmm. So during this match, at the uh, at the climax of it, uh, Stone Cold goes to pin Mankind, and of course, right before he gets a pin on him, <clears throat> the referee gets bumped, and uh, there's no referee to make the count. All of a sudden, here comes Shane McMahon running down, and Shane at this time had been helping Stone Cold and saying countless times leading up to this show, "I'm not, uh, no, I'm nothing like my father." No, what's between you and him is his job business. I'm, you know, I have nothing to do with that. As in, he didn't want to be put on that same side at all. It's like, no, no, no. That's, you know, your your feud is against my father. I have nothing to do with that. Well, Shane slides in the ring, starts counting. He's wearing a referee shirt, too. He goes, one, two, and then he double middle fingers Stone Cold, and you just see the shock on on Stone Cold's face. Of like, what the hell are you doing, son? And <laughs> that's how uh, he screws Stone Cold, and it, you get the first swerve of the night because everyone didn't see that coming. Everyone's like, "Oh, we're gonna see Shane and Vince button heads," but no, all along Shane was in cahoots with his father. So you get the first betrayal of the night. You get the first swerve of the night that shows mm-hmm. you that Vince's character was masterminding everything. Yeah. Um, the second match in the semifinals is the rock versus the undertaker. 
Was this God. what about this match? Uh, that one, I don't remember a whole lot about it. It ended in DQ. Um, I want to say, I think Kane may have come out and interfered to prevent Taker from uh, getting getting the win and advancing. But I don't remember the rest of it. Gotcha. Yeah. So on that, we'll jump and talk about the final here. Because the final of this one ended up being The Rock Against Mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about this match? So here we have uh, The Rock is taking the, the role of the top babyface, challenging against the, the, the main heel in the company, which is Vince McMahon, who's not even a wrestler. That was your main heel in the company, was the Mr. McMahon character. And he has his hand-picked person in Mankind that he wants to you know, win the, the tournament and, and win the title. And at the time, neither one of these had, neither one of them had ever won the world title yet. Um, so you have the fans are a little torn. They're like, well, we like Mankind, but The Rock is you know, also you know, very popular. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the match is good, and... You're not sure what's going to happen here because it's like, whoa, you almost have babyface versus babyface, even though Vince is, you know, uh, wanting mankind to be the one to win. And you don't want Vince to be happy. So then during the match, you have Vince McMahon show up at ringside, and it's a very funny callback to something that happened one year prior at the 1997 Survivor Series. Uh, took place in a little city called Montreal. And uh, during that world title match was uh, Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. Uh, during that match, Vince shows up at ringside. And that was the first sign of like, huh, something's interesting going on here versus you know The Rock and Mankind. And uh, all of a sudden, The Rock applies the sharpshooter on Mankind, which is the same leg submission move that... Famously, Bret Hart used, but last year's Survivor Series, Shawn Michaels applied to Bret Hart and then sits down and puts them in the hold. And during the Mankind Rock match, as soon as Rock sits down, Vince calls for the bell. <clears throat> and they award Rock as the champion. And there's your ultimate swerve because he is now actually the corporate champion, even though he was going by the moniker the People's Champion. Yep. So, so Rock became the people's the people's champion. The, no, the corporate champion. The corporate champion. Yeah. Then he eventually he, became the people's <clears throat> champion. Oh, he was already that was already going he was already going by that moniker before that. Uh, and then he, he became the corporate that. champion. He became the corporate champion because Vince swerved everyone saying like, "No, no, no, that was our guy the whole time." Yeah. And yeah. then when you look back at the tournament, you go, "Yeah, the Rock actually kind of skated through this tournament pretty simple." We didn't see this coming, and it was one of the you know best swerves ever. So you'd say this is probably one of the better, better Survivor Series pay per views. Oh, probably one of the best of all time because of the, the this tournament alone. I mean, you have unbelievable star power. Forget about wanting to tune in to see five star matches. Forget about that. You didn't need that. You had you know some of the greatest of all time: Undertaker, The Rock, Kane, Stone Cold, Mankind, Al Snow, Goldust. You had just legend after legend after legend. So that was amazing as it, as it was. But the story they told in this tournament, they I can't think of any other tournament 
they've done. They've had King of the Ring tournaments and the WrestleMania Four tournament. No, these nothing like this. Okay. And speaking of things that had never been seen before, we're going to talk about our third match of the evening, which is our third third pay per view of the evening, which is the Survivor Series of two thousand and two. Okay. So this one you said you had mentioned was mainly known for the first one with the Elimination Chamber. Yes, first time ever. So let's talk a little bit about that. So what is an Elimination Chamber match? So uh, leading up to this, they had uh, Eric Bischoff, who is from the uh, WCW days. Uh, He was brought in as an on-screen talent, and he was the uh, Raw general manager. And uh, leading up to Survivor Series, he said that at the sh- at the pay-per-view, I will be debuting a brand new match. And I'm going to forget his exact quote, but I remember him saying it was going to be a little bit like War Games. And I think a little bit like Royal Rumble and something else. He, ma- he mentioned like three big uh, other type matchup types saying it's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of this uh, tied into one a uh, new kind of match. And we didn't see what the Elimination Chamber was until the pay-per-view. I love that they were able to keep it under wraps and make it an actual reason to tune in. You had to tune in to Survivor Series to see what this new matchup was. And what it was is just a gigantic steel structure. It surrounds the entire ring and the ring air, uh, the entire arena floor that surrounds the ring uh, just it leads right up to the audience, basically, and uh, it's a, a steel structure that covers the top and sides of the ring. So it's basically like a hell in a cell, except in the four corners of the ring, there's pods, and four wrestlers go into each one of those pods, or one goes into each pod, and you have four that are in their pods. Two wrestlers start in the middle of the ring. And I believe every five minutes, another wrestler comes in. The match has no DQ, no countout. You just have to pin or submit. And you can pin or submit somebody at any time. You don't have to wait for everybody to come into the matchup. So you could have somebody staying in their pod for 15 minutes, and then everyone else is getting eliminated. And then the last person comes out fully fresh, and uh, you could have a really interesting matchup. But uh, yeah, that was the first time they ever did the uh, Elimination Chamber. So, for a premise that Survivor Series is in its name, it sounds like the Elimination Chamber was something that was almost tailor-made for this pay-per-view event. Definitely. I mean, it, it totally rings Survivor Series. Um, I think they've they've missed the boat a lot of times where they could have capitalized on having such a cool name called Survivor Series and had other matchups uh, like this. Because from what I understand, it's more now of a brand split, Raw versus SmackDown. Yes, bragging rights. Or as it's apparently going to be this year, Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. Yep, because now we got to make sure. Well, I mean, I'm glad they're recognizing NXT as a as a bigger brand. But I mean, let's be honest. If you've watched the product, you know NXT is the is the the brand. (laughs) 
I'd say from what I from what I understand, it's probably it's the more and um the more interesting of them, especially with them being mostly up and comers or trying to get onto the main roster. Yeah. So I guess wanna move on. So last but not least, and you had mentioned it, um Survivor Series of ninety seven. Yep. So this is probably the most controversial match in professional wrestling. Well, I'd probably say history. It was a game changer, definitely. Um, as you had alluded to, Survivor Series 98 did make direct references to the ending of this match. And really what this match is mostly known for, it's not, you know, the undercard of Stone Cold versus Owen Hart or mm-hmm. the um, Intercontinental Champ for the Intercontinental Championship or Kane versus Mankind and the four-on-four elimination tag matches. This is mainly known for the ending of its main event. With um, the soon-to-be-departed from WWF at the time, Bret Hart, against Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, from what I've understood through reading about this match in particular, is that Bret Hart didn't want to drop the title to Shawn Michaels in Canada because he was promoted more as a Canadian hero. Yes. Um, he was willing to forfeit it, hand it over, or drop it at another time. But Vince, with with uh, Brett departing to WCW, Vince didn't want him to hold it past this event. Or at least yeah, he changed but... his mind to not let him hold it past this event. Well, um, Brett's contract was, was ending. And as I mentioned a little bit ago with the... Uh, Alundra Blaze and the uh, women's title dropping in the trash can on Nitro. That was one of the things that uh, the creative team and Vince and whatnot, that was one little thing in the back of their mind. They were like, hey, we don't want you showing up on Nitro with our title. That's going to, you know, kill us. How, how, you know. Um, but Brett was uh, not happy with the company on and off throughout that year. Um, he had been having issues ever since. Uh, well, it's hard to summarize this in a little bit of time. Let's see. So Brett and Sean, they famously had a match at WrestleMania 12, one of the greatest matches of all time. They had an Iron Man match for the title, and Brett dropped the belt to Sean. Uh, and so Sean was a champ during the summertime of 96, mm-hmm. and Brett took, Brett took off a little bit of time, uh, but he went to go shoot... Uh, what was that uh, TV show he shot? It was like the Western. Uh, There's a Western. Uh, Lonesome Dove. There you go. Okay. Uh, he shot the TV series. He had a, I don't know if it was just one or two episodes or what, but he was on that for a while. And then uh, Brett came back at uh, Survivor Series of 96, and he had a, a feud start up with Stone Cold, and it was a great, great feud, of course. Mm-hmm. And then uh, into the fall of 96, uh, they were building up to where the plan was originally to have at WrestleMania 13, uh, Sean versus Brett 2. That was going to be their second title match. And at that one, they were going to have Sean drop the belt back to Brett. Well, before that could happen, uh, Shawn Michaels comes up and says he's got a, a, a bad knee injury and he needs to take some time off and get surgery, and he has to forfeit the title. So he forfeits the belt, and uh, this was after the Royal Rumble in 97. He forfeits the title, and they do a tournament, and Brett won the belt 
in the tournament. And then he lost it the very next night on Raw to Psycho Sid. And Psycho Sid was the champ going into Mania. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the Royal Rumble that year, (laughs) Bret Hart was technically the last person to to be in the ring, but Stone Cold uh, snuck in from behind and threw him out without the ring. Stone Cold had been eliminated earlier. And so Stone Cold won the Rumble in And the gimmick is, if you win the Rumble, you go to the main event at WrestleMania for the title. Well, because of the controversy of that, they uh, decided uh, we'll do Stone Cold versus I'm sorry, yeah, Stone Cold versus Brett, and then we'll just do Undertaker versus Psycho Sid. And then uh, Shawn Michaels came back like just a few weeks later after that, uh, like I think almost like the next night on on uh, after Mania, he was back in the ring, and people were going like, "Wait, I thought you had knee surgery. You're gonna be out for like six months," and he's back. Just, just, just fine. So, uh, there was a lot of bad blood building up between Brett and Sean in real life backstage, and uh, Brett didn't like uh, tr- uh, Shawn Michaels and Triple H, their their clique, uh, the, as they called it, their little club. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Vince and Brett had been having discussions about you know uh, the year before that after WrestleMania 12. Brett had talked about being offered to go to WCW. If you know about the uh, Bash of the Beach, uh, 96, where Hogan famously joined the NWO and they started that whole stuff and he became a heel. Uh, Hollywood Hogan. Yes. uh, There was strong talks of Brett being the one to come in at that time. Okay. But he decided to stick with WWF and whatnot. Out of loyalty, I would assume. Definitely out of loyalty. He always had a loyalty to to, to Vince, and then uh, his father had loyalty to Vince and whatnot. They had always, you know, done done well together in business. And mm-hmm. uh, during '97, though, uh, Vince was like, "I'm losing, you know, so many people." He had lost Kevin Nash, he lost Scott Hall, and he was like, "I I need to sign you to something guaranteed," because he did not want to lose Brett. He was like, "I need you," and he's like, "I need you for." at least a few more years in the ring, but then I need you for the long term. Uh, he had big plans according to his, their talks. Like, I want you to be a trainer and an agent, and, uh, you know, I want you to book matches. I want you to be the one that actually, you know, t- you know, choreographs the match, whatever. Lay everything out for the younger stars. He wanted Brett for, for life to be an he employee. He wanted Brett to be what Triple H is now, <clears throat> essentially. Like a brand yeah, manager. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good way to compare it, yeah. Um... So there's a bunch of different rumors, but I've heard it was like, oh, I want to sign him to like a 10 million, 20 million contract. I mean, just ridiculous numbers. And then months later, after they had had that uh, agreement, Vince had to come to him and say, I can't actually, uh, I can't support that. Actually, I can't uh, give you that guarantee because Right now, they're they were going through so much competition with WCW. They didn't even know if they were in business too long or not because WCW is kicking their ass in the ratings every week. So mm-hmm. he famously said, "You know, I can't uh, do this. You know, actually, I wanted to do it, but I won't be able to." And Brett was already getting offers from WCW, guaranteed money. WCW was offering, uh, you know, all the WWE guys that were big names, like, "Hey, you want to work?" Uh, 300 plus days in WWE for a low uh, seven figure, high six figure, or how about 
you get a guarantee nice seven figure and you work, let's say, 150 days a year. So, yeah, it was like, it's hard to turn that down, but that's what uh, Brent ended up doing was saying, okay, I'm going to sign with uh, WCW. And uh, that was already, you know, an issue because he was the champ at the time. So it's like, well, you're going to go to this other company that we really don't want you to go to, but we understand. Okay, fine. But we need you to do what's right. And when you leave a company, you go out on your back. You you lose your last match and you put over whoever's, you know, staying. Right, which makes yeah. sense. You want to put over whoever the new champion's going to be. Yeah, because why would you have... I mean, why would you have a Brett uh, pin, you know, Shawn Michaels in the ring, and then the very next day he's on Nitro, and you're like, wait, we just let that guy beat our top guy, and now he's getting uh, more momentum by going now, to this other company. From some of the things I was reading about on it, and to try to get a little more understanding on it, there mm-hmm. was some mention that there were still a few weeks from the Survivor Series match until Brett was due to leave. So, yeah, would it have been possible because he probably would have hit another pay per view event by then to to have lost the match then? Oh, there would have been a lot of possibilities. They could have had him drop the belt on Monday Night Raw anytime. Uh, It hadn't been done in a long time, but they could have had him lose the belt at a house show. Bret Hart won his first WWF title at a house show against Ric Flair. And it was in uh, Saskatchewan. (laughs) (laughs) So, about the match itself, originally they had rehearsed it completely differently. They had rehearsed it with Bret getting out of that sharpshooter and the match was supposed to end in a double DQ. Originally, they were going to have, because uh, they had the, the, I mean, 97, still to me, one of the greatest, greatest years of wrestling. And what I miss most about uh, that time of wrestling versus today is the factions and the cliques and the, the stables. You know, everyone mentions Four Horsemen or D-Generation X, but one of my favorite groups was the Hart Foundation. The Hart Foundation was a tag team in the mid to late 80s with, uh, Jimmy Evelyn Iheart and Brett and Bret Hart uh, being just tag team partners in the mid 90s or late 90s they reformed the Hart Foundation and it became a stable with Bret Hart, Brian Pillman, Jimmy Evelyn Iheart again, Owen Hart and British Bulldog David Boy Smith and at one point pretty much everybody except Brian had title belts. Um Davey Boy had the European title, Owen had the IC title, Davey and Owen had the tag belts together. And then Bret Hart had the world title. They had all the belts at one point, similar to how Undisputed Era nowadays has all the gold in NXT. So, question for you. Mm-hmm. Is the European title exclusive to Europe? Certain parts, I think. I think you had to get uh, certain passports to be able to defend the belt in certain areas. Okay. So... But so the, ori- the original plan was that uh, Sean was going to, well, when they were talking about, you know, the matchup, Brett has gone on record saying that, you know, no matter what, I was, he was worried going into the match. He was worried that the ref might try to screw him, but he knew that Earl Hebner was going to be the ref. So he's, he purposely pulled Earl aside and said, hey, look, I need to know if I can trust you out there. I need to know that you're not going to do a fast count, like do a fast three count 
or you're not going to just call for the bell uh, if I'm in a submission or something. <clears throat> and Earl was like, no, 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 no. I'm, you know, you can trust me. You can trust me. And then uh, Brett was saying that, okay, well, just no matter what, I won't let Sean put me in, in a submission because if he goes tries to pin me, I can get out of it easily because Brett is a mat, mat technician. He is a technical wrestler. Uh, he could you know, do the mat wrestling just as well as the regular professional wrestling. So that was his biggest uh, concern was like, okay, I just won't let him put me in any, you know, submission thing because then they could, you know, screw me that way. Which, of course, then the idea was pitched about, hey, how about Sean puts you in the sharpshooter? And just as he's applying that, Davy Boy and Owen will run out and interfere, causing a DQ. And it'll make, you know, they're making sure you don't submit and it'll cause a DQ. And then the next night on Raw, you can uh, drop the belt. But he wanted, again, just to forfeit the belt, not actually take a hit, take a pin, or submit. Okay. But leave it to Vince, he changed his mind. There's, I mean, there's like, it's, it's, uh, I'm trying to think who exactly, who's the last person that said, because it's like, it's become one of those things where, Nobody wanted to be the one uh, that uh, masterminded anything because you didn't want to take the heat. And now I think it's become a thing where all these people are coming forward going like, no, 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 I'm the one that came up with the idea. I, I, I was the one that said, <clears throat> you know, we should do it this way so we get the belt off Brett. Um, Jim Cornette has come out saying that he's the one that originally told uh, Vince saying, hey, this is how we do it. You you know, get Sean to put him in the sharpshooter, and as soon as he does it, have Earl call for the bell, and there you go. You just say he submitted, whether he did or didn't. It's like, okay, <clears throat> give, give him the belt and get out of town. Triple Which H is... has gone on record saying that he was the one in a private meeting with Sean and Vince saying, yes, I want, you know, this is what we should do. Um, Shawn Michaels, for the longest denied it like that night that it happened after as soon as the match ended him and triple h played it off like what the hell's going on and then in the back room brett confronted him in the back in the locker room afterwards and sean's like no i i didn't have anything i had no clue brett's like are you sure you didn't know anything about this you didn't know this was going to happen and he's like dude i swear to all the gods no i didn't know but 2002 i think it was they did a uh wwe confidential show where they had Sean come out and finally say, like, yeah, I knew. Yeah, I knew. And I was the one that could take the heat. I was already the one that was getting in trouble all the time for other stuff. So I was like, yeah, if you want them to hate me for this, okay, fine. <laughs> gotcha. And I know this really soured Brett's relationship with WWE in general. Like, he didn't return back for years. Yeah, no, he... Uh... I mean, as soon as the match is over, he, he spit in Vince's face. Uh, you see him trash the uh, commentator table. He's, like, breaking the monitors. He gets back in the ring, and with his finger, he writes, uh, he air writes WCW to let the people know where you'll see him next. And then, uh, sadly, of course, WCW didn't know what to do with him one bit. And by the time they actually put him on TV... A lot of his, you know, momentum that he had coming out of that. You think with that kind of screw job happening to you, you're the hottest thing going. Even though you got screwed, you, like the all the world's eyes are on you. 
So we want to see what you're going to do next. And WCW held off for like a month and a half before they even brought Brett out on TV. It's like, who remembers what happened yesterday, let alone what happened last month at Survivor Series? You know, everything, there's been how many things happening since then. It was such a waste that, you know, they never knew what to do with Brett. And then Brett didn't come back until, I think it was 2006, when he came back for the uh, uh, Hall of Fame. That's what I had seen was like around 2005 or six. And then there's the story that he famously punched Vince McMahon in the face backstage. Yeah, uh, Vince, uh, whenever, when they were in the locker room, uh, Brett was back there, Sean was in there. Uh, apparently from people's eyewitness accounts that uh, Sean was sitting there like shaking and in tears because, hey, I think Shawn Michaels is like one of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest wrestler, but he is not a tough man by any means, okay? <laughs> It's one one thing to play off a character of a super badass wrestler in the ring, but he he's let his mouth get himself in more trouble than back himself up to do. So uh, if you're in a choreographed fight, Shawn Michaels is going to put on the greatest match ever. But if you're in a street fight, I'm not putting my money on Shawn. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so Shawn was terrified about getting his ass literally handed on. Well, they famously had a fight in... Uh, I think it was earlier that year, if not late 96, it was earlier in 97, they had a fight in uh, the backstage locker room area at some show, may have been a Raw, um, but uh, a couple of the agents came running into Vince's office at the arena they were at, saying like, oh, Brett's kicking the shit out of Shawn Michaels, hurry, get over here. <clears throat> and yeah, he, uh, uh, they, they had a fight, and uh, Brett had pulled out, like in the tussle, uh, he had pulled out some of Shawn's hair off his head. And, oh wow! Uh, and Shawn Michaels went into Vince's office crying like a you know little five year old, going like, "He pulled my hair! I'm tired of this! He can't do that! He can't do that!" It's like, man, man up, okay? <laughs> wow! Yeah. And then you have Vince on record saying that he didn't screw Bret Hart. He truly believed that Bret Hart screwed Bret Hart. Yeah. And they That's kept right. mocking him, um, and then. WCW themselves, to their credit, did address the issue on Nitro, apparently, after after the screw job, where they came out, basically criticized WWF for the actions, um, and then had basically announced that when he when Bret Hart became part of the uh, WCW, he was set to join the NWO. Yeah. And then Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall, um, and the rest of their members sang the Canadian National Anthem. Yeah. Well, I want I want to go back first because uh, you had brought up the punching Vince McMahon. Uh, yes, Vince. Uh, whenever after the pay per view had ended, uh, him, Shane McMahon, and I believe Pat Patterson, who was uh, one of the top agents, he's uh, like one of Vince's right hand guys at the time. Um, that they were going into the uh, the locker room, and before they went in, Vince told his uh, son Shane, he "says We're gonna go in here." He gets one punch. Like, I have it coming to me, is what he knew. He's like, I have it coming. So let him do it. Just don't, you know, don't stop him. Just let him get it, get one hit in at least. And he knocked his ass out. He, he popped him right in the face. And, and uh, the next night on Raw, you see Vince has got a black eye. <laughs> well, he did yeah. deserve it. <clears throat> I mean, he did. 
but at the same time, it's like, it was like, you look at it and you're like, okay, I get how with all the, the backstage issues that Brett and Sean had, uh, how Brett was supposed to win the belt. I mean, again, this is all storyline. This is all, you know, predetermined wrestling, pro wrestling, but Bret Hart famously has always been able he's been he can't separate the reality and the storyline to Bret it's like I'm the champ I'm the best and that's that it's like okay there's other people that we have to make champ and make you know look good as well and Bret always struggled with that I think and so that was where it was like he didn't want to drop the belt to uh, Sean, because you know Sean was not willing to drop the belt to him earlier that year with the fake uh, knee injury thing, or at least alleged, alleged, alleged fake knee, knee injury. Yeah. Well, if you look up Shawn Michaels' uh, title history, <clears throat> look at how many times he's actually lost a title. I think he's been pinned maybe twice, and he's won multiple championships. He's like no, he hardly would ever lose the belt. He would either get it taken away from him because he failed drug, you know, a drug test, and they had to strip him of the belt and just do a storyline. Uh, there was one time he got his ass whooped in uh, what's the? Uh, it was a it was outside of a bar in New York. He got jumped by a bunch of Marines uh, for mouthing off and talking. Like his mouth got a bit more. Yeah, you, know, you could imagine sometimes. And he was the Intercontinental Champion at the time. He had to drop the belt because he was too beat up to to uh, to do anything. <laughs> yeah, and then apparently years later, they did actually bury the hatchet, uh, Brett Michaels and or Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Yeah, it was uh, late. Uh, it was like January two thousand ten. They did a uh, a segment on a Raw about it where they had Bret come out and Shawn come out. And this, if, the reason they did this, honestly, is because. TNA had started to come around and finally get a little bit of uh, momentum on them. And they were having their first ever Monday night show. They were trying to actually compete with WWF for a little bit of time. And on that same night, they had Brett and Sean, uh, you know, kiss and make up, basically, which helped make sure the ratings were going to side on their side. Okay. But I think now they've just become, you know, professional friends again. And they used to be, you know, not best buds, but they were cordial, you know, for the longest. And then it just seemed like things snowballed. And Sean has uh, said continuously, like, you know, nowadays, of course, Shawn Michaels is a born-again Christian. He, you know, so, you know, has sworn off all the, the demons that he was uh, uh, into throughout the 90s and... You know, you hear the phrase, cocaine's a hell of a drug. It's like, well, a lot of things are a hell of a drug, and uh, Sean did them all, apparently. So, uh, you know, he chalks up those uh, substances as, like, reasons he was certain ways. And uh, at the same time, he'll be like, uh, Brett will say, like, oh, I remember this time Sean did this, this, and it really pissed me off. And Sean will be like, I don't remember that, but I, I, don't, bl- I don't doubt it. I probably did, but I don't remember it now. And it's like, you don't remember a lot probably from, you know, issues. <laughs> gotcha. No. Uh, hopefully, there isn't anything like that at this year's event. 
I don't know. I mean, it it look we're it's what twenty two years later we're talking about it, and there's still so much to talk about. Uh, I mean, we just kind of covered bits and pieces, but uh, this is a a subject that could go on and on and on. There's so much other things to add in from uh, the involvement with the the Hart family, Sunny Days. I didn't mention that. Any listeners out there know what that means and. Uh, there's other things that you could, uh, you know, discuss to, as far as the uh, Brett and Sean's uh, storied rivalry, both on screen and off screen. Maybe we'll have to do that at another time. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Junkie, I know you put out a tweet earlier in the week, and for any of those who are listening to us and don't follow Mr. Junkie on Twitter, number one, why not? Number two, you can inbox him any of your Survivor Series questions for 2019, and he's going to be making a video of talking about those things. Isn't that right? That's correct. You can get a shout-out on my predictions with PCJ. I do a predictions episode prior to every WWE live stream uh, special show, such as your annual pay-reviews of Survivor Series, WrestleMania, Rumble, and every other one as well. So uh, send me questions and topics, and you get a shout-out on the video. There you go. Well, Mr. Junkie, I want to thank you for stopping by and chatting a little bit about Survivor Series with me here and getting a little in-depth and giving me some knowledge that I can take back to Miss Nancy and let her write down in her novice's notebook of raw wrestling knowledge. It's always a blast doing these and anything I can do to help increase her knowledge of the entertaining world of pro wrestling. Absolutely. Well, once again, thank you for joining us and I think we're going to jump over to something else so here we are talking about the big d plus uh, the A passing grade the big d d is all you needed to get through high school thankfully i wasn't in that crowd but i almost was the only class i probably would have got a d in i dropped because i wasn't going to put that on my record i actually got a d in physical education because i didn't give a shit so i never dressed out i did a bare minimum to passing grade because I didn't give a sh- I didn't want to change my clothes, therefore I didn't care if I didn't participate. I could sit on the bench and read a book. Do you want to know a fun Nancy fact? I ended up having to go to summer school for PE. Oh, I actually failed it my freshman year. Well, for the reason I didn't dress out, and then actually, all right, Sarah and I took it the second time together, junior year, <laughs> and her and I both came up with the amount of perfect time we needed to not dress out and give a shit, and then when we had to. We figured out it was twice a week. There you go. We passed. Okay. That's all we cared about. See, for me, it was actually something different because I had moved out of my parents' house a year before I was supposed to. And when I had moved out, I was living in Wisconsin at the time. And Wisconsin has a different final schedule than Illinois. So for Wisconsin, they take their finals after Christmas break. But in Illinois, they take their finals before Christmas break but I had transferred in the middle of Christmas break so between Wisconsin and Illinois I ended up having to basically restart my entire junior year because I didn't take finals so none of my work was credited and in Wisconsin you only had to take physical education for two years versus Illinois which is all four so I was able to catch up on all my other classes except for physical education so I ended up having to go to summer school for gym which was bullshit because it was hot that year 
and we were outside for most of it, and we would start the morning by walking, like, 30 laps on the track before we did anything else, then we had to do, like, book work and stuff, but I made a lot of good friends along the way, so it was good, and I got to, I got to reconnect with an old friend of mine from elementary school, because he was also in summer, summer school for gym, I don't know how that happened, because he went to the same school forever, but he somehow managed to get summer school for gym, so him and I spent a lot of time together just, like, hanging out and catching up, which was really nice, so that's a fun Nancy fact, the only time I ever went to summer school was for gym, which was bogus. Yeah, sounds like it would be. So, we're here to first give you a gigantic spoiler warning. Dun, dun, dun. We are going to be talking about Disney+. Plus. We are going to be talking about the big shows on Disney+, Plus, The Mandalorian, and The World According to One, Jeff Goldblum. Our internet daddy. But before we get to that, we are going to talk about some general impressions, so... Listen at your own risk, because I'm probably not going to take the time to timestamp it. Yeah, so you're going to just have to gauge it, figure it out, hit the hit the skip button. We've got a lot going on. It'll be fine. So I guess we should probably just open it up with Disney Plus well, thoughts. Yes, but I do want to address one quick thing. In the previous two segments, you may have heard background things. Just letting you know we're doing this live literally live we're trying to record in person for the first time here gonna hear things it's a learning process apologies but on the plus side we got a new fancy mic thanks to one of our friends of the show from night docs which was uh which was a friend of mine who actually featured me on one of his youtube videos and he's letting me borrow one of his mics so that way we can hopefully improve the podcast so let us know what you think do yeah. we sound extra sultry do we sound extra good in your ears? I'll Can probably, we make this an ASMR? I will probably end up getting some uh, ferret blockers for the cable and upgrading this to a nicer cable. Eliminate some of that background static y'all might hear. So yes, work in progress. We're getting better. We're trying our best for you guys. And at the end of the day, trying our best is the best we can do. So you just need to accept that. Nice. I can, I can play a victim really quick. It's probably a bad thing. But anyways. So, Disney Plus, general thoughts. I, so I went ahead and took advantage of the bundle idea. Because I already had Hulu and that was coming up for renewal and I was going to lose my 99 cent a month deal anyway. Thanks, Amazon. Um, no, that was Black Friday. Oh, that was that Black That was Black Friday, Friday yeah. last year. I went ahead and signed up because it was a dollar a month. Well, I was about to renew, so that was going to be six ninety nine. Well, Disney Plus is $6.99. So, Disney owns Hulu. They bundle them together with ESPN for free. And, well, ESPN Plus gives me UFC fights and a bunch of bonus sports content. And I consume the shit out of sports. And I do not. But thankfully, I'm a Verizon customer. So, I get Disney Plus for free for the first year. And then after that, I can make the decision just to have it billed through my cell phone bill. Which is wonderful. So, I get to ride the free train, which is great. Yeah, lucky you. But, I mean, you know, I pay for it with my cell phone provider because it's Verizon. So. <laughs> yeah, that's my Netflix with T-Mobile, which actually went up um, a little bit. It actually, since Netflix raised their prices, I now have to pay a dollar fifty extra on my phone bill for it. Rude. You know what? Okay. 
it's all included. It's a dollar fifty a month, whatever. I honestly may end up dropping Netflix and pirating somebody else's account. I mean, that's what I'm doing. The only thing, and it sounds stupid, the only thing I'm paying for, quote unquote, is Disney Plus, and it's free for this year. So other than that, I've been mooching off of everyone. I'm mooching off of Corey's Amazon Prime, so he can get through the boys, which we'll be talking, you know, which we've talked about, and. Then for Hulu and Netflix, I'm mooching off of somebody else because I try not to pay for things, but I do pay for Spotify and YouTube because I'm a fucking dweeb. YouTube's included with my Google thing because I subscribe to Google Play Music and I have like the family account, so I have like, I think, two open slots still. So maybe I'll start mooching off of Corey for that too, just so that way I'm good to go. But at the same time, my Spotify account is practically perfect and I don't want to mess with it because I've had my Spotify account for probably seven years. You know, shout outs to uh, a friend of ours who might be able to get you through Spotify. I might have to contact that friend after we're done talking about Disney Plus and so, all the other good stuff. So, Disney Plus general thoughts, like I said, I'm enjoying it. Um, Some stuff's to an happened. extent. To an extent. <laughs> The issues I have with it so far probably are because of it being on my Fire Stick, um, just with videos pausing and the audio still playing. My favorite. The video not loading or just randomly stopped working, kicks you out, which Netflix does as well, and that's usually when I know my Wi-Fi crashes, but Disney does it too often. Well, I think that also has something to do with the amount of people that are using Disney Plus right now because apparently... Disney Plus had over 10 million subscribers at launch, which crashed their servers, so a lot of people weren't even able to watch Disney Plus because everyone was like, today's the day. It was basically the Shane Dawson, Jeffree Star conspiracy palette, but for Disney content. It broke the internet. That's why I waited until the, like later in the day when they fixed it a little bit. Well, I was working, so I didn't really have to worry about it, but I did make sure I got my registration and got my login information and everything set the day of just because Verizon reminded me it's like today's the day so I just clicked the links got everything set up and I was good to go but I actually really didn't start watching Disney Plus until last night and today. Yeah, no, I've used it for some things because I've watched things at my pace and I've watched quite a bit on there. Um, I won't lie I started it up and went straight to watching Chippendale. <laughs> is that is that your go-to? Well, I loved that show growing up. I loved Rescue Rangers. But little dude was running around the house. And I was like, you know, let's just see what happens. And he sat down. We watched it. I did get the video and it for was adorable. For about 15 minutes. Which, at the, for his age, is actually a pretty long time. So. Yeah, I was like, he just sat there and stared for like 10, 15 minutes. And then got up and ignored it the rest of the time it was on. Hey, I'll take it. That's still kind of a W. So then we tried Darkwing Duck. That didn't win. Oh, no. Darkwing Duck is still a classic, though. So, tried those, and then I started watching. I got through the first five episodes of Gargoyles one the other night, which I needed to watch because I remembered having that actual first five episodes as a kid. I had the VHS. Oh, you're so old. That came with a board game that at the end of the tape started, and when you landed on certain squares, you would hit play. And certain things would happen that would affect the game. That's amazing. I mean, that's that's basically. A... And then you had to pause it, or you had to fast forward to the certain time it told you to on there, and you get that scene and rewind it. That tape got worn out real quick. 
I can imagine. But yeah, there was it was a board game, little punch out tokens. It wasn't it wasn't anything. It was like you know like a paper map and but punch it was still out tokens. Something. But Disney marketed it with with that, and I liked board games. Still you, love board I games. I was gonna say liked is not the correct verbiage that you want to use because we play board games so much over here. And I'm not mad about it because I also enjoy board games, but I had no idea that they actually made a Gargoyles interactive, basically ANG. Yeah, essentially. They're Which, just really cool. Yeah, so that's Welcome fantastic. Welcome to the 90s. <laughs> I was, tried everything. I was born in the 90s, so I mean, I have a slight grasp on all of that, but not probably to the same depth as you because you're an old fart. Watching it now is nice just because on Disney Plus the episodes are uncensored, unedited, so you get the things that Disney edited out in reruns, which is nice, and you get the violence or the scenes they deemed too violent because the show itself isn't overly, overly done. No. I, I Gargoyles was one of those ones I definitely stayed up late to watch as a child because I, I liked the idea of it and also just the Gargoyles from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I, I love those characters, and I like the ideas of, like, these statues coming to life and doing things. It was something that really appealed to me as a kid, because I always felt that, like, statues and mannequins and all of that other stuff would come to life when you weren't watching, and Gargoyles, I think, like, harnessed it in a way that resonated with me, because I was also very much into, like, the tr like the crime and, like, crime-biting, and that's when, like, that nerdy path basically opened up for me, I think, was from Gargoyles. And I also... The voice acting was fantastic. The nice yes. low baritone and the the fun the fun voice like it was just it was a very well done show and I don't think it gets enough credit. And fun fact, the creator of Gargoyles has actually started a Twitter campaign with the launch of Disney Plus to get a new revitalized Gargoyles for yeah like they want to do a season four but as a reboot. Or as like a remake, essentially, I guess is a good way to put it. Like new and art style update, and it'd be cool to see. I would be excited. Hopefully, they don't Teen Titans go it because that show, although it is hilarious, cannot even hold a candle to the original Teen Titans. No, not at all. Um, Teen Titans taught me things. Teen yeah. Titans Go taught me to turn off the television. <laughs> yeah, and Teen Titans had good music. It did. Yeah, good music. Good music, good life lessons, great animation. I could speak highly of that, but we're not talking about Teen Titans today. No, we're not. You started that route for me. I, I did, but I felt like it was a good connection, so I was going to run with it. No, we're here to keep talking about Disney+. Plus. So, one thing we both watched on Disney+, Plus was Jeff Goldblum. The world, according to Jeff Goldblum. Thank you. Goldblum, the internet daddy himself. He's also agreed that we can call him Daddy, and he loves it, so that is the only way I refer to him from now on, is Daddy Goldblum. He's he's such a character. I guess that's the best way to describe him, just in general, because even in the show, he's just a character. In general, he's just a character in life. Yes, he is, and he's very well aware of that, too, and I like that he's like, I think I'm in my prime now, with one of the episodes that he had talked about, which I very much appreciated, because he's, he's so unabashedly himself he has his weird mannerisms he's also awkward but at, like with that awkwardness people love that so the response that you get from the awkwardness just makes it that much better because everyone's like you know what this is him this is who he is and like i still love him even if like i'm like eh, for a second it just it pays off i like his jackets 
his jackets are awesome. I, I didn't realize. I really like those jackets. I didn't realize how thin his legs were. <laughs> I was almost a little uncomfortable watching the first episode when because he running. when he was running, <laughs> it's got too much bop. Too much bop. <laughs> he's, he's like, what do you mean bop? And then he's like, can you run normally? And I don't think Jeff Goldblum has ever learned how to run just watching that scene alone. <laughs> so maybe a little bit of context. So there are two episodes out right now, and the first episode, Jeff Goldblum is talking about the shoes. world of shoes. Well, sneakers. Sneakers specifically. Um, which is something that resonated with me because in a past life, I worked for Journey Shoes for two and a half years. And to this day, I am such a shoe snob as a result of it. So I very much appreciated the first episode because it was a world that I was ingrained in for a very long time. And then watching him be awkward in it was just the icing on the cake. Yes. I actually really did enjoy that episode a lot more than I enjoyed the episode about ice cream. I liked that they got Ben and Jerry on the episode, though. Yes. I liked, I mean, it's not that it's not good. It was a great episode. Even episode two about the ice cream was great. They got Ben and Jerry on there. He made his ice cream flavor out in the forest. While they were tripping on things. Yeah. Which I thought was funny. And it's like, I know that he had, like, said it. But I'm sure he meant to say it in jest, but I'm like 98% positive that it really happened that him and the ice cream creator were tripping through a forest looking at things, because there's no way that they weren't. No. <laughs> but, and it was great. They went to the, you know, the battleship and served the ice cream and talked about what it reminded them of. And I, I liked that episode. It's just, for some reason, the shoes resonated with me more. Mm-hmm. Watching it and seeing him tell the story like three times of his uncle. Yes, we, we got the uncle story a lot. Him making his own custom shoes, which is honestly what I thought the Adidas section was going to... I know. Or the, I'm sorry, the Adidas. 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 Or as some people call it, Adidas. Adidas. Um, do you want to know a fun Adidas fact? So, apparently, there is a town in Europe that is completely divided between Adidas, or Adidas shoes, and Puma. Because... There was a set of brothers that had lived in that town that were basically cobblers, like they made shoes, and one went on to create Adidas, and one went on to create Puma. So if you go to that town, the first thing people will look at is your feet, because they want to see what side of the fence you lay on. So what if you're wearing 90s? Then I think that's a middle ground. But most cool. of the people in the town choose one or the other, and both brothers are actually buried on opposite sides of the uh, the cemetery because of how deep that feud went. Wow. Fun shoe fact. Very fun shoe fact. We're not talking about shoes in that aspect. We're talking about Jeff Goldblum. Well, it was still <laughs> a fun fact. I'm sorry the ADD kicked in. Yes. Um, As it does. Happens to me a lot. <laughs> So it was it was great content to watch. I, Jeff Goldblum is just so charismatic, and I can watch him do anything. And I like that he kind of knows where he stands with like a lot of people. Where he gets you know he gets kind of awkward, but he kind of just like turns into the skid. And even like his diatribes, talking about random things. It's just it was so pure. I can see that. Yeah, and it is it is it's him genuinely genuinely being curious mm-hmm. about what's going on. Um, and it was great. I actually laughed a lot during these episodes just at him. Yes, he was quite funny, and there there are some definite, like, takeaway lines from the series already, even though we're only two episodes in. Yes. 
So, definitely worth a watch. I'm excited for it. I like that we get, like, a full National Geographic catalog as well, too, because I love watching shows like that. I'm actually interested in watching the one with Gordon Ramsay on there. Yes, where he's, like, cooking around. He's basically, like, Anthony Bourdain, but Gordon Ramsay going around different Yeah, places and I'm actually interested it. in seeing that. Me too, because it'll be nice to see maybe a less angry side of Gordon Ramsay. Well, if you've watched The F Word, he's not angry. Because that's more documentary style. Because it right. shows some of him cooking and then him with ingredients and people who do them. It's more of like like traditional style. If you're watching Kitchen Nightmares, Hell's Kitchen, MasterChef, those will show him angry. MasterChef Junior, no. That's just oh, no, the sweet he's... side of Gordon Ramsay. Well, and that's why I like it. But I also, that's one of the things I respect about Gordon Ramsay is he has, he's got his two modes. Because for children, they don't have that ego built up yet. And he's just trying to encourage them to keep going with cooking. And he's very sweet. But then when Master Chef comes along, you've got all these people that think they're hot shit, and he's so quick to shut them down. And that's like that's the sign of a true master to me is being able to adapt to the different people. So Most definitely love him to pieces. So if you like documentaries, Nancy, I watched one that was interesting on Disney Plus. What'd you watch? I watched the Imagineering story. Okay. So the first episode, because I haven't watched the second one yet. That's that's something for probably during the week. But the first episode is all about the creation of Disneyland and some of the iconic rides. They're talking about the Matterhorn, and they take you inside to the basketball hoop. They talk about the basketball hoop that's inside and, you know, the significance they signed the wall. They talk about the construction of that and how Walt got the land and approved for it. And it kind of goes into the history and actually talks to the people who designed the rides. It's a very Disney thing because Disney created it, so it doesn't show really any negatives behind anything. Right, because there's no such thing as negative in the Wonder World, wonderful world of Disney. But it shows you some footage, some archival footage of Disneyland then and now, and kind of how things have changed a little bit. But it's okay. actually really interesting. It kept my attention the whole time. That's good. So I enjoyed it. I would recommend. Once, Probably at least episode one. <laughs> once I get through some of the other stuff that I've watched, um, because I did, thankfully. So this is probably my favorite thing about Disney Plus, is that I got Don't Look Under the Bed, which has been my favorite Disney Channel original movie since the get-go. And it was one of the hardest ones to find because it only aired for two Disney Channel spoopy seasons because of how terrifying it was to children. So I remember that one, yeah. It, I actually remember seeing that. Yes, and it, it was such a rare... It was such a rare treat when it happened, and anytime I had the opportunity to watch it, I did, which was probably only four or five times in my entire childhood before it just disappeared forever. And there are a lot of people that I talked to that didn't even know it existed. So that was one of the first things that I turned on while watching Disney+, Plus, and I remembered why I loved it so much, and my feelings have not changed. And I know we're no longer in the spoopy season. We're, you know, mid late, midway through turkey season. But well, it was... For you, spoop is all year round. This is true. I'm just a generally spoopy person. So I don't need a time or a reason to be spoopy because you can just assume it's always spoop here for me. So something I started watching on Disney Plus because I was excited. It was on there. One of the big reasons I decided to get it was all 30 seasons of The Simpsons. Yay, because Disney owned Fox, in case anyone forgot what a monopoly, I mean, what a purchase that was. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, Disney now owns the rights for The Simpsons. So they have it on Disney Plus. And I was excited. And then I watched the earlier episodes. And the 4-3 cropped into 16-9. And the internet itself is mad. Petitions have been started. But you lose a lot of the visual gags. You lose a lot of the scenery. Everything looks zoomed. Heads are bigger. Grains lost. Something Dragon Ball fans have argued about for a long time and complained about with box releases of the show and even the current Blu-ray release for the 30th anniversary. It's not hard to just leave it in a 4x3 format, especially when you have it. Just upload it digitally. It's not hard to keep it and you can get it. It's just, why? Biggest complaint, why? Right, and it's not like they couldn't have kept the format and put some, like, Disney stuff in the background just to kind of help keep it formatted to today's television. Yeah, just put like, it, you know, you can crop the screen down to its original aspect ratio to see it, and then in the background you can put Mickey Mouse or whatever behind it. Or even just, like, the Disney Plus Blue. Like, there are options that it probably could have happened, and there are plenty of shows and TV shows that I've watched that keep the format and just like keep it black in the background so like yes. you still know what you're focusing on mm -hmm. and it's just that's how it was created so that's the format you should keep so it doesn't get that distortion exactly you lose a lot of the quality of the animation especially with hand-drawn animation because it distorts lines you lose the deepness of black um the grain in there unfortunately you lose it which blurs details in the animation it's it's not a fun watch if you happen to watch it definitely not fun but other than that, I've enjoyed everything else so far that I've watched. The biggest one being The Mandalorian. Yeah, so The Mandalorian yeah. has given me a lot of feelings already. But yeah. in a good way. You know, originally I wasn't going to probably watch The Mandalorian. I wasn't the hypest on Star Wars at the moment. But... I feel like that bridge kind of got scorched for you. Not necessarily burned all the way, because the last movie was a little rough. Yeah, so The Mandalorian was trying to give me a little bit of hope, trying to see what would happen, and you know what? I'm on board. Um, would you say it gave you a new hope? No, uh. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I had to. But, so, let's talk a little bit about The Mandalorian here. So, the show focuses on a single Mandalorian bounty hunter, who at this point, through two episodes, remains nameless yep. in the series itself. Um... And it opens with him going into a bar to collect a bounty. As you do, as a bounty hunter. He, and I like how the guy that he's actually in there to collect, it starts off and it shows him, you know, oh, you spilled my drink, buy me a drink. And then the Mandalorian comes in and the guys all come up around him and they're like, they don't like you, you know, buy him a drink. And he takes his chances. He does. He, he rolls the dice. So, and he just kind of goes in. And I love the way that he uses the door as a weapon. That is some fighting ingenuity right there. Smart. He collects his bounty, they get on his ship. His old ship, by the way, because the guy, uh, before that though, you get onto the speeder. He doesn't want it to be a droid. So he gets into his speeder, right? Shout big out. Old ruck bus, big old rust bucket. Shout out to Brian Posehn playing the speeder driver. <laughs> that was a nice little, like, cameo that I wasn't ready for, but so happy that it happened, because it was perfect. Also, rip to Brian Posehn for being eaten by a giant um, ice monster. Oh, yeah. You, you don't want to stay on the ice, because oh, fuck. 
<laughs> he, I mean, he at least gave, like, the forewarning, and, like, you could tell like, he was, like, trying to get out of there, but wasn't enough. Nope. So, they get on a ship. I was talking about having to basically use the bathroom, asking for the, for the evac. <laughs> the, the back door, almost. <laughs> Goes down there, starts exploring, sees people he knows in Carbonite, and Mandalorian pops up behind him and freezes him. Yeah. I like the fact that, you know, at this point, since it was tested on Han Solo, and it was proven to be useful, all bounty hunters use Carbonite in their ships. I mean, it does make for efficient storage space. Oh, Ikea would be proud. Yeah. <laughs> Can make a couple tables out of them. Yeah, well, I mean, they would make for good D&D &D tables, because they, they've got the peaks and ripples in their clothing, so those could be mountains, and... It's a good world map. Good world map. Yes. So... So then he goes and meets Carl Weathers to claim his bounty. Yes, he meets Carl Weathers, who plays the bounty, the head of the bounty guild. So he goes to collect his bounty and pick up new ones. There's a couple of discs, and he wants to take them all. He can't, won't let him, because that's good to everybody. And he offers him kind of an under-the-table job. Gives him the chit. It wasn't even a chip, it was a card, because... No, chit. Oh, chit. I'm sorry. So you get the chit. And he goes and meets the client. Who is played by Warner Herzog, of all people. Fantastic casting. Because that one blew me away. I was like, oh my god! So, the job is a bounty. Target's about 50 years old. The, the serial number, essentially, is just four digits long. And it's Five zero fifty. It's the age. They're approximately fifty years old. The only way to find them is they have a little tracker that beeps when you're close. You know, like when you lose your keys and you find one of those little things on your phone that vibrate when you get close to them because they're lost in the couch. <laughs> Something like that. Mine's never lost in the couch. It's always like in a place where I never put my keys, and it's different every time. I'm one of those. You know what it's they awful. say? They're always in the last place you look. That's because afterwards you find them. Exactly. And I hate that saying so much or my favorite well where's the last place you had them because if i knew i wouldn't be looking for it now would i well i ask that question but i usually phrase it as where's the last place you remember having them right because at least in that way it's kind of the same question but it's actually getting straight to the point it's where's the last place you remember having them because then it gives you a moment to actually think about the question with the extra word yes it's amazing how the English language works sometimes. <sighs> and we're then... not talking about the English language. <laughs> we're talking about the Mandalorian. We are. So he takes the bounty, which gives him a crate of, if he completes it, he gets a crate of Beskar steel, essentially, for bringing the bounty back alive, half with proof of termination. Gives him one piece as a down payment. And he, in the Mandalorian himself, takes it essentially to a Mandalorian club and have it cast into a shoulder piece. Because boy needed a new one. His his left shoulder was looking a little barren. Needed something a little bit fancier. Something to help ricochet the blaster blast. Yeah. Yeah. And then the extra was able to be given to the foundlings, which apparently he himself was. Once upon a moon. So a foundling, in case you don't know Star Wars lore, essentially is a Mandalorian tribe member who wasn't born into the tribe. They were acquired. Yes. One way or another. They were found. <laughs> Quote, Hence unquote. The name. So, <coughs> he gets that. 
and then he takes off in his, in his, in his ratty old ship to the desert planet where he gets into an encounter with two two alien I don't know how to describe them best because they're not just on two legs you can see they have they have four legs the other two are just really tiny and staying on on the back yeah they're just hanging out they're just they're there evolution hasn't totally removed them yet they're just kind of chilling they're called the blurg such an original name for something that goes blurg hey i mean it's like a po it's basically the pokemon rule whatever it is that they say that's basically their name and yes. you get slightly like slight variations between the two well he has our, our hero the mando has some uh some issues with that so he can't fight him too well he gets his arm trapped another one charges him and then nick nolte and the pig max shows up oh which was fantastic the, the makeup on him is great because it, it was just so seamlessly done i was like maybe that's just actually his face i have spoken <laughs> one of the best ways to end an argument it really is i have spoken like i think that's the most i know of that character is he's like well you know you're welcome to half and he goes um you know the blurg and i have spoken it's like just cuts him off i have spoken i will help you i have spoken right i see his character for me is just like the old man that doesn't give a fuck anymore he's like i just want my peace and goddamn quiet i did my time let me enjoy my valley because my valley is not peaceful anymore so you're gonna fix it because mandalorians are badasses he is very much the hey you kids get off my lawn yep like that's it that is his character they even give him like a nice you know domed head with the hair growing and then the mandalorian has to learn how to ride the beast he tried his best <laughs> then he connected with it on a deep spiritual level <laughs> you know it's really hard to find bonds like that these days i suppose so like good for him for getting that yeah and he rides the beast through the desert to a camp where he teams up with a bounty droid. Reluctantly teams up with a bounty droid. Yeah, I was going to say, it was a little bit more reluctant because he was just like, oh, fuck. A bounty like, droid. Yeah, it was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Gotta deal with this now. A bounty droid named IG-11 who is voiced by Thor Director, or Thor the, the latest Thor movie, what was that? The Dark World? Yes. Yes, Thor the Dark World. Takia Watiti. Say that three times fast. Takia Watiti, Takia Watiti, Takia Watiti. I can't. Sucks to be you. Yeah, words are hard when you're someone like me. So. <laughs> so, anyway. Teams up with the bounty droid. And they kill everybody. They they going in here. Hide, hide your kids, hide your wife. They killing everybody up in here. Because everyone died. Break open a door. And they find the bounty. But it is the most special bounty. It's a little baby Yoda. It is a little baby Yoda. It's the cutest thing ever. And then ah. the Mandalorian kills IG-11. Because... He was going to kill baby Yoda. Yes. And Mandalorian wants his fucking steel. He wants it alive. You're not You're not about to take half away from him. No, sir. No, ma'am. It's not happening. Bitch better have my money. <laughs> so, after episode one, what did you think? What did you think of just the first episode before we talk about episode two? I think the first episode did a great job of setting the story, getting the characters established, and 
it was it was very Star Warsy in that respect, which I was you know which I very much appreciated as a Star Wars fan. Um, it was a little bit of a slow build, um, and I feel like that's probably going to be the problem that you're gonna have for this entire season because we just went through our whole pacing issue so. with Stranger Things. And it's back again, but well, the story is great. So here's the pros and cons of the pacing with this. The episodes are shorter. So you don't have as long of something to go through. They released these two within the same week, which means they meant for this to be viewed basically one, two. So I can understand that more, whereas with a binge showing and breaking them up, I don't. This, they're doing the weekly release, periodical release, so I can understand they left you hanging a little bit to say, wait, what the hell, this has changed kind of everything in Star Wars to, to build into Episode 2. Now, though Episode 1 was a bit slow, it also had to set up the characterization of the Mandalorian a bit, because with, like, Stranger Things, you had an entire cast it had to show up, so it was going to have some obvious issues with some of the pacing and seem rushed at times. Okay. With this one, John Favreau took an opportunity to basically take the first, I want to say almost half, maybe quarter of the episode, I would say, to describe who this Mandalorian is in particular, because this is a brand new character in the Star Wars mythos. Right. This isn't Boba Fett. This isn't, you know, taken before Jango Fett died. It's not Jango Fett. It's not them. It's a different Mandalorian who has no connection to the Fetts. He's just trying to live his best life, trying to get as many bounties as possible to get all those sweet, sweet credits. And <coughs> it got me on board to watch episode two, and episode two had better pacing. Episode two was a fun one, for sure. So, and that's the thing. So the first episode may be a little slower. But they give you the right amounts to keep you building through pieces. You find out what the bounty is, now you're curious to build up through what's going to happen with that, and then you meet a fun character, and then you see a lot of action. It did what Star Wars needed to do in a spaghetti western setting. Yeah, I can see that. Giving him some John Wayne vibes, almost. Especially with the way they do the ending title cards. Oh, yes, let's talk about that for a second, because I... As someone who appreciates the arts and a bit of an artiste myself, the way that the end card credits look was enough for me to not want to skip the end credits because I just, I wanted to see how it was interpreted in a different media and it was gorgeous. No, definitely it was. I enjoy it. Yeah, and it's the same thing. I don't want it. I didn't want to skip the end credits to skip through the next thing. I just went with it. So episode two... He fights... Episode 2 was really good. A little bit more action-packed. The ship gets taken apart by the Jawas, who he starts killing with Baby Yoda giving him concerning looks. Can you... I don't know if you can call it concerning, because all you see are just, like, two bright red eyes just looking at you in general. They're, like, just judging you for yeah. killing these Jawas. They, they breach your soul a little bit. Um, and then he... Goes after the sound crawler, the sand crawler, and the jawers shock him into a temporary paralysis, and Baby Yoda looks concerned. He he just wants to help. <sighs> Baby Yoda's gonna steal the show. Because he's so fucking cute. I don't blame anyone for feeling that way because I looked at it and I was like, oh my god, the ears. It's like when you look at a German shepherd puppy, how big the ears are versus like the rest of them, and it just right. melts your heart, and you're just like, Oh my god. 
So he gets his components back, but he has to get an egg or the egg for the Jawas. And I love the Mandalorian speaking Jawa. Because he sounds like a Wookiee. Well, and he's let, at this point, he's let Nick Nolte in the pig mask lead up and talk about this. He's let him, you know, do the translations and such. And then he just all of a sudden just speaks Jawa. Jawa and then you just hear the Jawas speak and then all you understand really is Wookiee. You speak Jawa bad. You sound like a Wookiee. <laughs> <sighs> Jawas are dicks. A little bit. They're they're basically the galactic trolls in the Star Wars universe, I think. This is the first time if you've seen the translations, the first time you've ever seen a Jawa's language translated. See, I didn't know that, but I was appreciative because I'm like, oh, now I know what's going on because I know what these little fuckers are saying. And they have to do that in the way they're doing it, and I like it. Um... So, the egg, he has to fight this big beast to get the egg. Which is basically a giant... Rhinoceros. Yeah, rhinoceros. With fur. A little fuzzy rhinoceros. And he gets his ass kicked. Oh, it was great, though. Because he got hella bopped. He was rolling around in, like, mud and probably fecal matter. Oh, yeah. Completely coated. His chest plate is busted. His armor's falling off. Looking like a rough boy. Yes. He, he was having a rough go at it, and I do like the way he kind of took his final stance. I feel that probably speaks more to, like, the Mandalorian, like, race as a whole. As in, like, he's he's thrown all of his punches, he's used his flamethrower, he's used his grappling hook, he's, he tried to use his guns, but his gun got jammed, because it wasn't an AK-47, which doesn't jam, <laughs> break, or overheat. Thanks, Nicolas Cage, it's the only reason I know that that's a thing. Um... <laughs> <laughs> the incorrect AK-47s are known to jam. I know, but that was the whole premise of, I think it was, I think it was like a God of War movie. It was. Yeah. It was one of his war movies, but what I appreciate about that final stance is the, is the way he ended up going down to the knife. Mm-hmm. But even before that, the way he, you know, the thing goes after Baby Yoda. And then and he's he, like. And he's like, nope. <laughs> Moves it and draws the attention back to him. He's like, no, you're not getting my bounty. Yeah, no, that's my bounty. Back off. And, like, it was cool, too, that he kind of, like, he moved it out of the way that was almost a distraction, like, at the same time. Like, the rhino really thought it was going to get it, and it, like, distracted him and, like, threw him off a little bit. And then it's like, nah, bitch, look at me. I'm here. Leave that alone. But he goes to use his final his final thing and reaches down for it, and Baby Yoda uses the Force. Which I was, like, not ready for, but at, like, 50 years old, if you haven't, like, at least started the Force, you're probably not going to use it ever, Well, so. Yoda's race in general is very Force-sensitive. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in there are, there's, in at least known Star Wars canon, there's Yoda and Yaddle, who is also of Yoda's race, and she was actually on the Jedi Council in Episode 1. Okay. Um, so, they're both very Force-sensitive in general, so that race, is, it is known as that, so it didn't surprise me that baby Yoda used the Force. What really does surprise me about Baby Yoda is that knowing how long they live, that at 50 they're still that tiny. Yes. Well, some well, we're races. Old and gray. Yes. Some races age differently than others. Um, which would explain why Yoda was as old as he was before he finally decided to kick the bucket in Return of the Jedi. So. Yes. So they do live a long time, but. It didn't surprise me to see him use the Force. I think what surprised me was that he used the Force and passed out like days yeah he was a sleepy boy for a little while afterwards and it was cool that we ended up 
like having a little bit of dialogue of is it still sleeping and like you just like see his little lip like move up and down like he's snoring a little bit mandalorian pokes him like yeah it's still alive it's good um but yeah he gets the egg because baby yoda uses the force which lifts the thing up and mando gets his knife and stabs it when it falls he retrieves the egg to give it to the jawas who open it up and eat the insides they were so ecstatic for that yellow goo do with an egg i guess but they didn't even, like, poach it a little bit. It wasn't, like, half-boiled. It was just, like, pure raw egg. So you can imagine that they all have salmonella now. So Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> so he gets his parts, and then him and Nick Nolte in a pig mask decide to, or, or don't decide, they rebuild his ship, and then he goes into space with the baby. Well, with that whole ship rebuilding thing, it was nice that we got a little montage, but I was really missing the 80s music in the background during the montage. Right, that would have been and cool. Like, we were like, the montage. Right, and then, like, you you see, like, little cuts of them, like, arguing over something, and then, like, getting over it, and, like, looking at the camera, like, we got this. <laughs> so, episode two, from In Nutshell, better pacing, more happened, and it's cutting it down, so I'm wondering if the episodes are all going to cut down to about 30 minutes apiece now. Right. If so, that's, like, the perfect for what they're trying to tell. Yes, and it, it keeps the flow up, and we still get a, enough information to keep us interested, and also keep the story cohesive. Yes. But overall, Nancy, what do you think so far? I'm loving it. I enjoy it. Like, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I always have been. And I'm slightly less cynical than you are in terms of Star Wars because I know how you feel about a lot of Star Wars. But I know this has made you excited, which makes me happy. Because I've been... I'm, I'm very easy to please, and I just like having Star Wars content. I've been a little bit more critical of it now. Now that it's been out for a while, I can really dissect it. So it's a nice addition. Well, yeah, they've done this one right so far with how they're introducing a character and introducing the series, um, especially since, like I said, it's a brand new Star Wars character in the mythos. Um, so it really isn't connected to anything else before either. So it has to carve its own path. You know, it's not building on the name of, you know, like the last movie, Han Solo. Right. You're not building on Luke Skywalker like in um, Princess Leia and Han Solo like the new trilogy did. You're introducing, or they introduced new characters with existing characters. Right. So far in this series, I have not seen one character from existing characters. Which is nice, because it does it does expand the world. And that's the one thing with uh, Star Wars I feel like they've got away from. And this was something that Corey and I were talking about, was with the original trilo- trilogy of Star Wars... The content you got with that was all that Star Wars was at that point, right? Um, and then after the trilogy had happened, then that's when we started to get, like, background lore, and we started to learn more about these different races. So now it's to the point where it, this is almost like a required viewing if you want to know what's going on. Um, and it's, it's with the, what it's becoming, because a lot of what built, and unfortunately a lot of what these races became and stories that Disney pull from now are things they don't consider canon and consider it Star Wars Legends because the expanded universe came and built on things that had happened. Um, my biggest complaint is that they didn't turn Luke Skywalker into the Jedi badass that he deserved to be. Right. That was his whole character arc. But instead he got killed for no goddamn reason. Exactly. No goddamn reason given. There is no logical reason Luke Skywalker should have died in that movie. Right. Don't try to tell me it's making a character statement about his reconnection to the Force. That makes no sense. He's... He's Luke Can, motherfucking Skywalker. Canonically, he is younger than Obi-Wan Kenobi was when he died. And Luke is supposed to be the most powerful goddamn Jedi ever. Yeah, and then you're going to think he's going to take take it out by his nephew? I don't think so. Honestly, and 
so there are a lot of theories floating around on the internet since that movie had come out that he actually didn't die just because like it was a force projection quote unquote but at the and end then of the it day, shows him become one with the force at the end of the movie and his cloak drop like it did with so many other characters when they died in the series. Right. I know. So it, it was one of those like harder ones for me to believe. You can call it wishful thinking. I don't know. Whatever. Rip Luke Skywalker. You died like a bitch. <laughs> a little bit. Thanks, Disney. Good job, Disney. You did it. You took something nice. And you made it less nice. I can't say anything more because I don't feel like getting sued by our Disney overlords. Yeah. Oh, I'll see you, bitches. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to jump on to the next. Let's go. Oh my god. Episode two. Rick and Morty. We're on it. He had to take a shit really bad. Are you? Okay. Are you a shy pooper? Don't. Okay, not necessarily, but I have my preferences. Okay. You know, I prefer to be at home, not in public. But if I have to be in public, it has to make sure it's usually the family restroom or a single restroom because I don't like to be around people. Not necessarily okay. that I'm shy, it's just I have my preferences. And a pinch of public restroom, the stalls works. Okay. Like, if you like, you gotta go, you gotta go. Mainly the airport when I worked there. Oh, yeah. You kind of got, like, no choice. Like, if you had time to, like, go downstairs to, like, the employee one. And oh, that's what it. I did. Yeah. Like, but... It's at least a little nicer. Right. Except for the one time I'm, um, Jordan and I caught a guy. Well, Jordan caught the guy first. I caught him another time. But Jordan caught him uh, watching porn in the stall. Oh, that's great. Next to him. Ooh. Yeah, was it at least him. good? Don't know. He didn't He didn't ask. <laughs> Awkward um, things that happen at airports. Oh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard women enjoying themselves in, in the bathrooms at the in the woman's stalls and i'm just uh, there are some noises you can't unhear and then when you have the unfortunate privilege to see what they look like once they're done Oof. yeah that's yeah. the hard one and the only reason you know is because you recognize their shoes <laughs> you well, for guys it's just a standoff you wait until you hear the door open and the restroom door open and then you leave you gotta figure out which one of you is gonna break first yeah, see, there's a little bit more strategy to that than, like, women, it's like, oh, those are those shoes. But I also do that to gauge whether or not someone actually washes their hands. Yeah. Because that's important, because then I need to know what I can and cannot touch. Good point. So, moral of the story is, if you have to go to the bathroom... Wash your hands. Wash your hands. And maybe also get that nice bathroom set up that rick has because man i'd love to have my own planet to go take a shit on well not my own planet but a planet just a secluded area that looked kind of like that to take a shit at man right. that'd be nice it's the dream between rick that has the ultimate executive bathroom he does because he's got that huge crystal mountain with the flowing river that he can wash his hands with and the wildlife that is also most likely 100 percent all robotic and serves some type of deadly purpose or puzzle solving need to get into this area yeah. <laughs> and Rick discovers someone took a shit on his toilet. And you don't just take a shit on another man's secluded toilet, you know? There's certain there's certain areas of a man's home you don't go into and take a shit. No. And in Rick's mind, that's his home. Yes, that is that is his space. That is his safe space. And someone disrespected it. And I will appreciate the level of thoroughness of him logging his stools. Yes. 
By the way, spoilers for Rick and Morty episode two. Oh, oops. Sorry, guys. You should know this by but now. I'll be honest. Throughout the whole thing, I think I really did enjoy the Jerry and Morty storyline a little bit more with the do not make the app creature. Oh, yes. <laughs> because the, mung, the monogatron. monogatron. That's a mouthful. Say that three times fast. I can't say anything three times fast without stumbling over my words. So let's not say we did. <laughs> the internet here at all. The internet will never know. They already know how hard words speak are to Nancy. So they've, they've gotten a fair share over the course of this, uh, over the course of this podcast and us just putting our voices out into the ether. So yeah, touche, touche. <laughs> Cause I've, I've gotten some gems. But I really enjoyed that storyline. And then I really enjoyed the uh, Beth and Summer storyline. Oh yes. Of being more mother. Being, I will mother you for as long as possible until you're 18, even if they take me away. <laughs> and I will come, come back, back and mother the fuck you. And I'm going to daughter the shit out of you. And then they start sword fighting with brooms and a golf club. A lot happened this episode, guys. Now, mind you, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. So what happened was you got Rick going off to take a shit on his secluded planet. Long. After... After telling Jerry not to make an app, specifically Jerry not to make an app with, with his intern. Drawn. Yes, which is his intern with a tattoo that says, do, do not develop, develop app. app. <laughs> but more Rick's gone, and so Jerry develops the damn app. It didn't take much. It was brief conversation about that app, and then 50-50 split, final offer. Like, Come on, Jerry. Like, let him twist your arm just a little bit before you just splooge. Right. And then you get the... Uh, my favorite thing of the whole episode. Assertive Morty. Assertive Morty. Taking action. Taking names. And I liked, I liked what he said. He's like, this. the other shoe hasn't dropped yet, but this has been working out pretty well so far. And then... Where's the guy with the... Where's, where's someone with the gun? Oh, uh, they're... They're on their way. Okay. There is no evil plan. Someone order a gun? Yes. Of course, the evil plan. <laughs> we need Earth's water. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. Again. Again. Kind of. <laughs> kind of, sort of. It's in the same storyline, at least. So basically, Jerry develops the app, Love Finders, with two Zs. Couple R's. Couple R's. It was, it was a bad name. Probably. And honestly... Um... <laughs> there were some better names... Yeah, so it's Love Finders, two R's, oh, and a Z. Yes. But it probably should have had a couple more Z's with how bad it was. It was putting me to sleep that name. Z, 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 Z. <laughs> <sighs> so they develop the app. It goes live. And Summer installs it. Because it's a free app. Why wouldn't you install a free app on your phone? Because they it's free. They don't need a dating app. You know... I need to probably start looking into those. Maybe. Maybe I just need one that'll scan my face and tell me. Every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes, who to fall in love with. Honestly, that's probably a better track record than me after high school, so. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, so the app basically scans people's face and tells you this person's your soulmate and people will go in. And be like, you're my soulmate. And then 10 to X amount of time later, 
you have a new soulmate because love is fleeting. So it is like Tinder on steroids. The couple with the baby made me laugh so hard. Oh, the couple with the baby was like MVP. That poor baby. God just left at the restaurant. Oh, and then they come back to each other and embrace and then go again. And, and the like, baby's like, like, guys. <laughs> <sighs> just like the look of sheer desperation in its eyes. And the reason these creatures developed the dating app was to get all of Earth's water for some undisclosed reason. Water is actually not a completely renewable resource. Right. So they ran out of water on their planet. So they were developing apps in order to get water from other planets. And Earth, pretty prime target, seeing as how most of the surface is water. So they wanted our sweet, sweet H2O. Meanwhile, <laughs> Beth chases Summer after every one of these dates throughout the whole episode. Eventually, she, like, hops on a plane. And then they, like, she hang glides. She hang Oh, we can't, we cannot gloss over this. Yes, all right, let's be honest. We're going out of order. It doesn't matter. We're jumping around. But my favorite scene of this whole episode was Beth sitting there hang gliding crashing into the barn. Farmer's like, what are you doing? Parenting. I do it somewhat different, or I do it different myself, and oh yeah, where's your parent? Oh yeah, where's your daughter? He goes, oh, well, you got me there. Like, I should join ISIS. <laughs> and I had actually missed that the first go around, and I just see Corey, a broken man, because <laughs> that joke got him. I had to rewind it to make sure I heard it correctly. Mm -hmm. And it was still as funny the second time. Oh, it was golden. And it was just so offhanded. Just so like, oh, yeah, this is my life. Excuse me while I'm bailing hay, thinking about my Isis daughter. And you've got the scene of Rick and, or uh, Morty and Jerry in the air duct. They're doing their plan. Jerry goes back for a high five. Morty's like, no, no, no. Gives in, high fives him, crushed him before captured. Mm -hmm. And then about to be executed by their, by his... Uh, business partner. We'll call him his business partner for this part. Yes, because they did go 50-50 on this venture. Then he scans Floaty's face because they're not allowed to use the dating app. Right. And there's no matches. And then in maybe not a plot twist, but then also in a plot twist, Jerry scans his face. It's the same. And it's no match for him, too. So they're alone together. They say same. They are same. So, Glody shoots the handcuffs for him, goes off to shut down the app by putting up an ad wall. And it is immediately uninstalled all across the world. The world is saved. Thanks to uh, Morty and Jerry. Thanks to Morty and Jerry. Wow. You see how much I just wanted to say Rick and Morty there? Oh, because that's all. That's all their adventures. So... We'll get back to talking about that a bit more, but Rick. Yes. And I do like that Rick, like, prefaced all of this where he's like, I'm going to take a solo adventure. And then Summer's like, oh, he's going to poop. And, but he really did take a solo adventure. He, he did. He put us through the, the rickamarole, if you will. And he <laughs> made a friend along the way. Are we admitting that he made a friend? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I want to say he did, but at the same time, Rick's an asshole enough to be someone's friend to fuck him over. Well, I don't so, know, because he's still pretty loyal to his friends, like Squanchy, Bird Person. 
but even I also, Gearhead. But I also wouldn't put it past him to get at this guy because the guy says we're going to be friends. That Rick becomes his friend to fuck him over because it's Rick. Right. You don't tell me what to do. <laughs> <sighs> oh my shit of middle finger comes out. Ah, but that's at the end. Spoilers. So yeah, Rick follows the clues to find whoever ate the sandwich that the turd was made out of. So he goes to the said sandwich shop. Which is run by frogs. But, but owned by a fly. And it's very interesting. I've got a lot of questions. I do. None of them were answered. Nope. And it was beautifully done where he's just like, I, I have like 800,000 children and I'm a fly. And I'm like around like all these drugs in a sandwich shop that's run by frogs. You don't think that's not, you know, a fairly interesting story to learn about? It's just, you might want to get that. Check your voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> you have 4,000. Oh my god, that's about half of them. What do you want? <laughs> All of this for a sandwich. And then as he walks out, after the guy who shit in my toilet, and, was that a drug reference? Someone find out if it's a drug reference. I need to know. Yeah, so I'm taking it. And he leaves that to go to find the delivery bot in a war where he materializes wearing a metal funnel with a QR code on it. That one got me a little bit harder than I wanted to admit because he it was, was so stupid and it worked. It was almost like him rolling up with a capacha. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he finds the, the robot who then gets shot in the head. So Rick has to find the memory chip pieces and slaughters almost an entire lizard race in the process. Yes, he, he got he got three out of the four chips, and all he needed was the last one. But then this this robotic gator, which I think is the same species from like the episode of Rick and Morty's Adventures where they go off and I think it is. I think it's the same species. I just, but I do like that. Okay, I know you wanna have your big guy, little guy fight. Mm-hmm. And Brooks like just give me the chip, and then all the other ones come up, and he just sighs and hits the next a thing button. You see, his stomach ripped open after the guy had swallowed it. Yeah, he got what he needed. He got his memory chips, and it ultimately leads us to Rick's new best friend, Tony. Tony's a good guy. Lost his wife. Just works a boring nine to five office job, you know, and he's a shy pooper. And uh, apparently, you know, Rick told Rick. So Rick was going to kill him. Asked him how he wanted to die. Went in the boardroom. Saw his wife on a picture. Went back and pulled out a past version of Tony. Who mentioned something about just shitting on the toilet for fun. And then. <laughs> he. Oh my. a shit pie. A pie that explodes out of middle of a hand that just flips him the bird made out of shit. Oh, it was even better, though, because that was, he was like, so you're not going to kill me? And then he's like, you don't tell me what to do, before it came out of the pile of asses. And just, like, the way he had that full-fledged, like, breakdown of just, like, you're not telling me what to do. And then, fart explosion. Yes, it filled the whole room. <laughs> That's about what you get in that scene. Yeah, But it, it continues. So Rick goes back. Or, so it continues, and he puts Tony in... So he keeps using Rick's toilet, rather. Mm -hmm. 
So he uses a chemical called, what is it, globofin? It is called globofin. Globofin. And it puts him in a bliss-like state where he's in a heaven and at a toilet where he can poop wherever he wants with his wife. And God. And God. The toilet God. Yeah, the toilet God. <laughs> and he suffocates himself, wakes up in a bag of goo. And Rick tells him to get out. So you get the you get the full taste of heaven, and then it's ripped away from you. And he got to learn what his heaven was, being able to poop so freely. <sighs> and I think after that they really bonded. Because then afterwards, Rick comes to his work with coffee and a box of chocolates. So, and this is where I'm thinking they didn't bond, but still maybe they did. Because he finds out Tony's dead, right? And then tells the receptionist not to eat them or she would explode, essentially. Yep, like... Laxative chocolates. Yes. And before this scene, Rick's sitting there rigging his toilet. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we shoot to... After the... Or at the funeral. He shows up to the funeral. Yep. Which is... I don't know. Something I don't feel Rick actually would do. Well, because he he quit his job to live life to the fullest. So yeah, he went to the funeral. He goes back to the toilet, sits on it, and his humiliating thing shows up and puts a king of shit on his crown on him. (laughs) See, and that's why I think that they were friends. I don't think so i just don't think he turned it off because i think i still think rick was sad that he didn't that his thing couldn't be used see and, and i that's think, what i'm thinking i mean he was sad but i don't think it was because of that i think it was sad because like you gotta think that rick had to go through and basically record all of those um all of those holograms to do and say all the different things that they did because they were all saying something different so that's not just like one recording here, one recording there. That was at least like 40 different takes that he did, all talking to this guy that oh. he had to make sure was going to go shit on his toilet again mm-hmm. because he brought them the chocolates and everything. Yeah, he, he made the man hum- a crown. He wanted to humiliate him. but Because he was a shy pooper, there were a hundred ricks around watching him poop. He was humiliating him. No, but I think that was also like, rick's way of showing his friendship it was just like back in season two where he like made this whole like this whole train that morty ended up on when it was like not supposed to be morty right um it's of that similar it's of that similar respect right and like although rick has been like putting tony through this this rickamarole of like you know gonna pull you from the toilet see what your heaven is like mess around with you and stuff like he still was like, yeah, go ahead, use my toilet. And then was sad enough to show up to the funeral because he didn't use the toilet. Yeah. So I think he made a friend and showed it in the rickest way possible. Perhaps. I think that's how Rick shows friendship. It's just like when I do something stupid and you rag on me about it forever. Yeah. That's, that's friendship. Yeah. But Rick just takes it to a whole new level. I suppose. I so, suppose. But he made a friend. <laughs> I like that when Jerry finds it, his ideal dream is he is a sparklets water delivery man. <laughs> Bringing clean drinking water. Because that is the most pathetic thing of a dream. To just drive a delivery truck and deliver five gallon jugs of water. 
Yes, and the woman being like, oh, I couldn't lift it myself. I'm going to be able to drink water for so long because of you. And he's like, just doing my job, ma'am. Like, he was, like, actually doing a service to the to the world. Jerry's ideal job should be selling it. At least they make more money. Jesus, Jerry. Such a Jerry. Oh, he's the Jerryest Jerry of them all. Fucking Jerry. But yeah, that's season... Was it season four now? Episode two. Yes. <sighs> this episode one. was a fun one. It was fun. I don't think it hit as many highs as last week's first episode did. But it's also the first episode. But overall, I enjoyed this one. I did laugh. That ISIS joke broke me. That ISIS joke was solid. And I also, I like that we're getting different pair-offs, right? You know, because it's like, in the beginning, it's like, okay, so like you need Rick, Morty, and a third. You know, in order for like the crazy adventures to really happen. But now that Morty is assertive assertive morty i love assertive morty he's great he's really coming into his own so you get to see different adventures now and like rick can kind of go off and do his own dumb or like you know maybe we'll get like another rick and jerry where jerry pisses him off again i mean it just opens up a lot more avenues i think so it's a little bit more of a slower build but i'm all for it still Right, but we only get a total of 10 episodes, and we've only got three left until the hiatus. I know, I know. So. It's that dirty, dirty Cartoon Network adult swim, need all the episodes, like, pumping out season after season. Why would they do this to us? And this is why people prefer streaming. 